your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. McKinnon in, shot score, 2-0 Colorado. The power play continues to eat up the Blues. McKinnon's out high with a shot, he scores, and it's 4-2. Nathan McKinnon again from way out high with a wrist shot underneath the bar, and he's been unbelievable. They go to chip it out, try to find Rantanen with it in the middle. There it is. And another goal by Nathan McKinnon, who's got a hat trick tonight. Go along with a four-point night, and it's 6-3 to three Colorado. Blues need to regroup. They are banged up. They are injured. They are unhealthy, and they are limping. They come home trailing in the series by a total of two games to none, and we'll try to reclaim some magic on home ice on Friday night. That didn't go as planned last night. The Blues lose 6-3 to three in game number two. They're down 2-0 in the series. They might be without. We'll find out more on this, I would imagine, over the next couple of days. We'll talk about it today. Justin Falk, uh, big hit last night. We'll talk about that. Um, Bortuzzo potentially out as well. You lost to D-Man. You were down to four. It, rough night overall right for the Right where we want them, boys. Right where we want them. It is? Yes. All right. Oh, nice. Thinking that they're invincible. You and know, then... sometimes we talk about the, it doesn't have to be an or conversation. It can be an and conversation. There's good and bad. I've never doesn't had have to that be conversation. all good or all bad. I felt like that was last night for me. You want to start with the good or the bad, Alex? Uh, get the bad out of the way. Let's okay. get the bad out of the way. Rip the Band-Aid off. Well, that's what the Blues did last night. Oh. They got the bad out of the Ooh. way first because the that first 20 minutes of that of that game were awful. Just awful. And it can happen, and it's happened far too often, Alex, where you've got 20 minutes of any individual game where the Blues just don't show up for whatever reason. For a long period, it was the long period of time rather it was the second period that was the issue for the blues on the first two games of this series it's been the first period that's been the issue outshot 18 to 5 in the first game they were outshot 19 to 6 in the second game in the first period alone that's a combined 37 to 11 in terms of shots on goal in the first period over the first two games of this series alex they just got to come out with more intensity early on and i don't understand why this is happening in the postseason well and look at i mean it's the polar opposite of what we saw in game number one where they came out with fire in the first period for about six minutes but they came out with it until the inevitable happened and they fell apart and then the blues started off hot power play happens then that goes down they start off very cold in the first period against Colorado last night. 
until they start to gain momentum towards the end of it. You get a couple of big saves by Jordan Bennington. Look, the the start of that hockey game, you'd ever want to find yourself down one nothing, and what was it like thirty seconds into the game? It's like, yeah. oh, okay, welcome to the show. But I also I, I looked at that one because it's like think about the morning skate situation where you did like Bennington wasn't allowed to be out there. Neither was Scandella. You can Alex, you can turn your head all come you want. On, man. Joey and I talked about it on the pre on the uh, pregame show and. Uh, if you talk to a hockey player that takes away from their routine. Sure. And I think that's a big part of it. And imagine being Jordan Bennington who look, he was great last night once again, but imagine being Jordan Bennington and wondering, am I playing tonight? Am I not playing tonight? I'm not making this as they an said excuse. They found out right after morning skate though, that he would be playing. So he knew like, of course, 10 hours before the game, I'm going to be available. But you didn't hit the ice for the morning skate. Look, regardless of what that was, you can't start off poorly in the playoffs. You can't, you can't play the playoffs like you play the regular season. And that's what they did. They they allowed Colorado to start the forecheck early in that first period. They allowed Colorado to swarm the front of their net. And frankly, three of those goals that happened last night, three of the, what would have been four goals that were scored other than the two empty nets, they happened because nobody touches the guy in front of the net. You had two deflections last night on the four goals, and those deflections came because two defensemen stood in front of Jonas Donskoy, who decides to just park himself right in front of Jordan Bennington. You can't have that. It's so weird because that should be what the Blues are doing, right? Like, you should have a guy in front of the net because they're supposed to be the heavy team. Yeah. They're supposed to be the team that's taking the action to the Avs. And yet it's been the total opposite so far in this series. I think you can make a case... Now, if you look at like the hits numbers, it might be, I haven't looked these up specifically, but it might be that the Blues have more hits on the abs than the other way around. They do, which is not a good stat to have. But the more effective hits, yeah. the ones that are actually leaving an impact, those are coming from the avalanche. And that's strange to me to watch. Um, but it is the start. That's been the issue for the Blues in the first two games of this series. Craig Berube was asked about how you can correct that in games three and four. We've got to understand that we have to play a certain way against this team. And um, we can't wait till the second period to do it. Um, you know, pucks go, got to go in deep. They got to go 200 feet. We got to be a good four check team. And then we got to shoot pucks. I thought we passed up shots again in the first period. And then we allow them to come out of their zone way too easy. And they get these uh, odd men, like rush attacks against us. And they get opportunities off it. <clears throat> it's just a matter of four checking smarter and harder. I asked you before this series, Alex, what were your what were the like five reasons why the Blues would be able to win this series? And one of them was, well, they got to They don't have to stop because nobody stops them, but they have to slow down that top line for the avalanche. Right. They're not doing that right now. Nope. I mean, if you want to look at the number one thing that has gone wrong for the Blues, we can talk about the forecheck. We can talk about the lack of offensive zone time. We can talk about how they're not getting in front of the net. Really, it comes down to the top line for the Avs, which has been their key all season long. It's the best line in the NHL for a reason. They've dominated the Blues in the first two games of the series, and the Blues' top two lines have done virtually nothing offensively. It's a one-for-one, one, and so far the Avalanche have by far won that head-to-head. -head. Yeah, well, and look, of course they're going to win that head-to-head. -head. Nathan McKinnon is possibly the greatest player in the game right now, and I say that with the same Shouldn't understanding. Shouldn't wide of a margin, though. But, but Ryan O'Reilly's overmatched, and, and I mean, that's exactly what this is, and that has no... That has no disrespect towards Ryan O'Reilly because Ryan O'Reilly would tell you he's mismatched because Nathan McKinnon is just a, he's a monster out there. He's fast. He's heavy. He can shoot the puck anywhere and he can get the shot off quick enough. 
without David Perron on that line, I think you you do have some mishaps because that affects the the chemistry and the defensive awareness from those two sides. But look, I don't think David Perron fixes this. Craig Berube, it's been a revolving door on that top line with Ryan O'Reilly. You don't have anybody who's effective to play the left wing. If Ryan O'Reilly and his line are not scoring, that's fine. You need them to shut down the opposite side and then the other guys need to score. You get a goal from Sammy Blay last night. That's a fourth line goal, which is nice to see. You get a goal from Braden Chen on the power play. That's nice to see. But Ryan O'Reilly's, his line has been ineffective shutting down that top line, which essentially takes him out of the scoring race. You're allowing them to get the goal first. And now you're relying on the other, other lines to find offense and they can't find any offense. I mean, that's been a revolving door for Craig Berube. Yeah, it's it's a it's a horrible cycle that the Blues are going through right now with all of that. That being said, there was some good. And it's crazy to say in a 6 to 3 loss, but we know that there were two empty net goals started with 2 minutes left. They pulled the goalie, rough play. You got to be able to defend that, but whatever. The Blues did have some good in the final two periods of that game. They deserve credit, in my opinion, for coming back in that game despite the circumstances. You mentioned it, Alex. I'm not willing to use it as an excuse, but it is adversity that they had to face. They did have a COVID situation earlier in the day where a few of their guys were not able to go out there for pregame skate. It's not nothing. It is something that is worth at least mentioning. Then you get smacked in the mouth in the first period. You're down 2-0. You end up coming out in the second period. You're facing adversity once again. And you're able to make a little mount a little bit of a comeback. You end up losing Robert Bortuzzo. He goes down to a relatively dirty hit. You lose Justin Falk. He goes down to a definitely dirty hit. And you find a way to mount a comeback. And in the end, the last two minutes or the last four minutes of the game, you had a chance to be able to steal a game away from the abs. I will give credit where it is due. The Blues fought back in a way that I wasn't sure they were going to be able to. And they deserve some credit for that. Yeah, and the way that they fought back was the style of hockey that I'm sure Craig Berube wanted to see. I mean, that first goal that's scored by Sammy Blay, that's all from the forecheck. That's the puck in the offensive zone. Kyle Clifford comes in for a big hit. Loose puck goes right to Tory Krug. He fakes the shot. Sammy Blay with the rebound. That does a couple of things. One, you're forechecking, and two, you got bodies in front of the net. And then the power play goal. I mean, look, if... You, Frankly, it was a five-minute power play, and for how good this power play has been, you should have scored two goals in that situation, but they got one. They built the momentum. You allow that goal on the other side, which that, more so than the Blues having a bad period, they've been notorious for that this season, for scoring a goal, and then the next shift, they allow the other team to score the next goal and suck the life out of them. That can't happen. For me... I loved the fact that the Blues pushed their way back into this game. Mike Hoffman comes down, scores that goal. I was a little surprised Craig Bruby pulled the goaltender when he did. We were texting back and forth about that with Jamie Rivers. I thought it was a right call, but I would have liked to see them get puck possession on that faceoff before you pull the goaltender because of what happened. I liked having the extra attacker. You've got a guy that's really good in the dot right there, and if you are able to gain possession, boom, you're off to the races already. So I I got it. It, it. it did not end up working out for them, obviously, and it's easy to second-guess it after the fact. I liked the decision. It just I, I took texted the momentum you guys away. at the moment. I thought that that was the right call. Yeah. Down, so. It just took the momentum away because I felt sure. like five on five. But look, at the end of the day, I said it on the on my tweet last night on postgame, which if you were up at 1 o'clock in the morning, you would have saw it. But I said that's loss is a loss. Like, those happen. But you have to be pleased with the fact that the Blues found a way to be in that winnable game. And look, a couple of things. You come home now. You have your own crowd, which I think is going to benefit this team. And you're also going to get the matchups that you like. And going back to that McKinnon line real quick, BK, 
Think about that Boston Bruins game, the perfection line of Pasternak and Bergeron and Marshan. It wasn't Ryan O'Reilly that was matched up against them. It was your fourth line of Sunquist, Barbashev, and Steen, and they kept them off the board. You don't have that you don't have that presence of a line right now that you could throw out there and get the mismatch. So maybe the maybe the matchups and the final line changes work for the Blues in this one. I like the fact that they built up some momentum, but this is going to be a major uphill battle to climb because I don't expect Justin Falk back in this series. Yeah, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show today from the 636. It sucks to see, it sucks to admit, but the Blues are outclassed in this series, guys. I think there's some truth to that. I think that what we're watching, and JR mentioned this earlier today on Carriker and Smallman, the Avalanche look like a championship team. They look like a President's Trophy winning team. They look like a team that's getting ready to go for a Stanley Cup, and the Blues look like a team that is getting ready to go out after the first round of the playoffs. Like, I, I think sometimes we can make this a little bit more difficult than it is. The Avs are the better team, and we knew that going in. We knew, as you said, Alex, it's going to be an uphill battle. I didn't know that it was going to be this wide of a gap, though. I gave the Blues a little bit more um, of a chance than I think we've seen so far. Maybe that will change as things come home. Blues versus Avalanche game three tomorrow night. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. It's 11.15. Your time check brought to you by Clerks and Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Joey Vitale is going to join us coming up in about an hour to talk about what he saw from the game last night. Coming up in 15 minutes, we got to talk about Jack Flaherty living up to the standard. But David Kaplan is a host of Cap and Jay Hood up in ESPN 1000 in Chicago. I want to get his take on what we have been seeing from the Tony La Russa situation and... Cardinals getting ready to take on the Cubs in a series between the two best teams in this division? We'll ask David Kaplan about that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. There's been a lot of news happening up in Chicago, and we are always happy to be joined by David Kaplan, the co-host of Cap and Jay Hood on ESPN 1000 up in Chicago. You can hear him weekdays from 7 to 10 in the morning. David, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? It's good to be with you, BK. Everything going okay? Absolutely. I don't like the Cardinals. I do love the city. <laughs> hey, we, we, we always love having you on here in St. Louis. And, Cap, there's been a lot of um, news, I guess, the, uh, complaints. I don't know what's going on up there with the White Sox. Can, can you explain to us how Chicago has embraced, or I guess the lack of embrace Chicago has had for Tony La Russa, especially over the last week? Okay, so I like the hire. I was in the distinct minority like so many people did not like the hire of tony or as everyone up here calls him tlr and so they entrenched themselves in this position of terrible hire games passed him by he's old school he's this he's that and then they had the dui thing so there are people that were really down on this hire so anything he does he gets no credit for, which I just find ludicrous. So I love to tweak the fans and the other media people who are against this guy. They got the best record in the American League. And one of our hosts I was arguing with at our radio station yesterday, he's like, yeah, it's in spite of Tony. I said, uh-huh. They, he's the third winningest manager of all time. Your club's won one World Series 
in a hundred or whatever years. If he wins again, we'll do it in spite of him. I said, do you realize how stupid you sound? How idiotic that is. This guy's a great manager. Has he made mistakes? Sure. He's a human being. Every manager makes mistakes. That said, I supported what he did with the old school rules and all that. I get it. That's the way he likes to play. I just didn't understand why he had to go to the media and throw his guy under the bus and tell the media that his player's clueless. That I didn't get. Do you think that that leads to possibly losing some of his locker room, David? Because, I mean, we've seen Lance Lynn come out with some comments about the situation. We've seen a couple of other guys. I think Tim Anderson was on social media (laughs) tweeting about it. I mean, obviously a lot of people were talking about TLR coming into a young clubhouse and how he would manage it, but where does it go from here? I don't think he's going to lose his clubhouse. I do not. Uh, Jose Abreu has his back, and he's the unquestioned leader in that room, along with T.A., and in to- on top of it, Tony was asked after the game yesterday again about the Yermin Mercedes controversy, and you could tell he'd had enough. I've addressed this. I'm not going to do it again. He did something that was wrong. That's not how we're going to play here in Chicago as long as I'm managing this team. So you guys can keep asking about it. I'm done talking about it. That's it. And I respected him for doing that. Uh, in terms of the entire team, like going against him, Tony said after the game yesterday, they asked him, you know, Lance Lynn said whatever, and his response was, Lance has a locker, I have an office. And then he followed up, and that little soundbite, that little quote, everyone's hanging on like, oh, God, maybe he lost his guy. Lance Lynn, Tony said, I'll put my relationship with him up against what any of you think, and I would bet if you go talk to him, I'm pretty comfortable with what his answer would be. So yeah. I think they're in a good place. I think that's totally fair. We we know here in St. Louis, certainly from their time early on, that they 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 are thick as thieves. That's that's no surprise here. Uh, Cap, when you look at the relationship that TLR has with the ownership group out there, I mean, there's no risk of him getting fired at any point during the regular season, right? Oh, like obviously. God. They're they're first place in the central, so from that respect, and certainly not. But there's he he's he's secure, right? Oh my God, secure! He, the chance that he would get fired this season is less than negative eight thousand. <laughs> less. A friend of mine ran into Jerry the other day and said, "How about your manager?" And he said, "Love him, love him, absolutely the greatest." Yeah, Jerry. There's zero chance that he's upset with anything Tony did. Well, speaking of loving them, David, I'm I'm sure you're loving the fact that the uh, Cardinals are sitting at first place in the NL Central, <laughs> right? Before this Cubs and Cards series starts up this weekend. Who's in first place? That that team to the south of yeah. you guys. <laughs> yeah, the dead the dead birds. <laughs> the dead birds. That's, that's right, Cap. Call them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Look, this is a Cubs team that. They're 500. They play the Nationals again today, and then we'll move on and get ready for you guys. Um, This isn't a great Cubs team. It's not. I'm not convinced it's a great Cardinals team either. It might be a better team than the Cubs team, but they're both eh, okay. I don't think either one of those teams harbors World Series aspirations at this particular moment. But it's still Cubs-Cardinals, and when we were losing 100, it was still fun to beat the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, look, winning the World Series in 16 was amazing. Winning the pennant was 
also amazing because it was the first time in the World Series in 71 years. But I will tell you, I speak for a lot of Cubs fans. Beating your ass in 2015 in the NLTS <laughs> was one of the greatest moments I've ever had as a sports fan. To watch John Lackey, who we then ended up signing, give up a three-run home run to Javi in that game, and then Schwarber hitting one on the scoreboard, and seeing all the crestfallen folks in red was the greatest. <laughs> David Kaplan joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line here on 101 ESPN. Cap, what's the plan for this team? Like you, you mentioned, you're not convinced that it's a great Cubs team. They're in second in the division right now, middling right at 500. I mean, you've got Bryant and Baez, and there was some talks in the offseason about Contreras. What's the plan going into June and then early July? Do you think this team sticks together throughout the entirety of the season? Uh, I don't. I don't. I think Craig Kimber will be the first guy they move. But Jed has made it clear to them, you guys want to keep this thing together? Prove to me it should be together. Well, here they are, like 21 and 21, and they don't have enough pitching. They're just not a good enough team. And so, you know, people are harping, well, Tom Ricketts didn't spend enough money. He did spend enough money. We had the second highest payroll in baseball before the pandemic. They didn't win with that team. It's not how much you spend, it's who you spend it on. And so are you giving Javi Baez $250 million? Are you giving Anthony Rizzo $125? He wants close to the deal that Paul Goldschmidt got from you guys. I just don't think the Cubs are going to give him that. I don't. They offered him 70 for five years. I thought that was a slap. And now, again, that's baseball money. That's not normal money. I get it. But he'll, I think he'll stay and they'll get some deal done. Five for 90, something like that. Chris Bryant, he's a great player. He's having a great year. He's had a lot of injuries. Are you giving him an eight-year guaranteed deal at $275 million? I don't think there is an appetite in Chicago to give him that number of years. Now, if he said, yeah, I'll do a four-year $120 million? Yeah, they would do it in a second. He's not going to take that. So I do think of the four core guys, three are up after this year. Rizzo, Bryant, Baez. Contreras has one more year of team control. I think at least one of those will be here. My guess is it could be Contreras and Rizzo, and they'll trade the other two plus Kimbrough. Final question that I've got for you, Cap. When we look back on this, this six, seven year run for the Cubs and uh, what was supposed to be a dynasty at the beginning of 2015, are, are Chicago Cubs fans going to view this run as a success? You got the World Series, so obviously that individual season is considered to be a success. But is this era of Cubs baseball a success after what was supposed to be? Uh, five out of six years in the playoffs. I mean, we've never had that kind of success. You know, I kid you guys how much I despise the St. Louis Cardinals <laughs> and the Cardinal way and all that. And when Joe Madden showed up here and you guys threw at one of our players and Joe Madden started screaming across the field at Mike Matheny and said, I don't see Tony Soprano in that dugout. You want to start something? We'll finish it. Everyone puffed their chest up. Anthony Rizzo took on the Reds dugout and said, I'll fight every one of you. And Araldis Chapman, who later became his teammate, ended up throwing at one of our guys. Everyone puffed their chest. Here we go. Yes, five out of six years was really, really cool. The World Series, the greatest sports moment of my life. Amazing. But, yes, people are going to look back 
disappointed, unsatisfied. I mean, just for a number of reasons. That's it? We didn't get back there? And now you may be rebuilding again? Yeah, I think people, 25 years from now, you ask an old David Kaplan, I might go, that was amazing. What a golden era. Today? Yeah, I feel a little unsatisfied. Cap, we always appreciate the time, my man. Can't wait to watch the cards kick the Cubs' ass this weekend. All the best to you and yours, and we'll talk with you again soon, my friend. All right, and then when you get done with that boring town, come on up here. we got real restaurants. Funny thing is I'm actually going to be in Chicago this weekend, so I'll talk to you soon, Cap. Appreciate <laughs> oh, you, my man. Got it. I do love Charlie Gito's. Great place. Oh, Absolutely. Fantastic. It's the absolute best. That's David Kaplan, Cap. host of Cap and Jay Hood on ESPN 1000 up in Chicago weekdays from 7 to 10 o'clock. That guy's awesome. He's uh, the best. People people get people get sour about him talking trash about the Cardinals, but that's the rivalry, man. I mean, he loves it, and we love it. That's the whole point of this. I, I love everything about it. So it's interesting to me. Do you consider this era of Cubs baseball to be a success? Like, if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm furious because I was sold something. I was sold a dynasty. And we ended up going to three straight NLCS. That's great. Fantastic. This is about winning rings, right? Flags fly forever. And the Cubs got one of them. So they broke the streak. They broke the curse. But the fact that you only got, if you told me at the end of the 2016 season, when they got that World Series, hey, the Cubs team will never go back. This this version of the Cubs team will not get back to another World Series. I would say, well, what happened? How is that even possible after this? after the talent that they have accumulated? I do not consider that to be a success. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because with all of that talent and for how bad they were for so long, you expect multiple World Series. But he's, I mean, he's right. You went to the playoffs five of six seasons. You get to the World Series. You win the pennant. Um, you know, I can relate it to what we're going through right now with the Blues, right? Like we were told a five-year championship window. And if that championship window closes with only one Stanley Cup and you don't get past the second round, I think I would still take that as a success because you get yourself a championship. And I mean, other than the Houston Astros, who has won multiple World Series in the last 10 years? Sure. But this is uh, the Giants, by the way. Um, th- this was supposed to be that team. Yeah. Like th- that. That. That's why I think that it's so different is it's because it's not easy winning the championship. I mean, I mean, I know people make it seem like they didn't even get to another one, though. It's not just that they didn't win another. They didn't get back to but the But if World you look Series. at who they ran into, I mean, they lost to the Nationals, correct? Uh, what, no, lost to the, they lost to the Dodgers in 17 okay. and 5 in the NLCS. And then so, if you go the next year, lost in the wild card game to Nolan Arnato and his Rockies, which I believe was the, the only playoff win. Yeah. Missed the playoffs in 19 in the shortened 2020 series, uh, season. They were swept in the best of three in the wild card round to the Marlins. the Marlins. They lost their last two playoff series have yeah. been lost in the wild card round against the Marlins yeah. and the Rockies. I guess I would take that as a disappointment because, I mean, look, the Dodgers won. I mean, I think we all can, like, come on, you ran into the Dodgers, and the Dodgers were a really good team. But losing to the Rockies, losing to the Marlins, missing the playoffs, that's a disappointment in my opinion. And also the one place where I would say that I, I disagree with the Blues comp is just because, first of all, it's so much harder to win a cup. It's the hardest thing in sports to do, right? It's why it was so difficult here in St. Louis. It's also the lack of a cap, right? You you don't have a cap in baseball, and their players, most of them were guys that were coming up that were very young and ended up in in a – they were all coming up together. So you had them on these low-level deals for four years, and the fact that they weren't able to put together the pitching to go with that, man, that that is a – if not a failure, a massive disappointment. 
Yeah, Maybe failure is strong. Yeah, that's it's the way I would go. Massive disappointment for them. Yeah, that's that was the way I would go because I don't think it's a failure when you're that successful for that amount of time. That's but fair. it's definitely a disappointment to only win one ter- one World Series and to be in one World Series. I think it would be a failure if you didn't get the World Series. Sure, absolutely. I, I think with the World Series and it being a hundred year streak, then I that's think it success. can be failed or not failed. It can be viewed somewhat as a success. But yeah, yeah I would agree, disappointing for sure. That memory will haunt my dreams because that was on my honeymoon. Oh, jeez. When they won the World Series. That would ruin my we, we were We were in Hawaii, and I'll never forget, we were sitting there because, you know, the time zones were different. And so it's like late at night when we're sitting there, and they freaking win the World Series, and Katie's like, let's go out. And I said, yeah, F that. The Cubs <laughs> just won. I'm going to bed. That was, although not the result that we were all looking for here in St. Louis, one of the best baseball games I've ever seen. It was, that game seven oh, was yeah. absolutely incredible with the the rain delay and every. I mean, it was. They, they broke Andrew Miller. Miller. They don't. <laughs> they don't win that World Series if it's not for that rain delay. You can't convince 100%. me otherwise. Absolutely. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line. Questions and answers in about fifteen minutes. Coming up next, though, guys. Jack Flaherty finally living up to his own standards, even though he didn't throw a no hitter last night. That's next on one hundred and one ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Fair proud air, but Jack's put himself in position to, to, you know, start that climb towards that kind of career. You know, it's really about going brick by brick, but that's a, um, that's an accomplishment that um, is really special and needs to be applauded. That was Mike Schultz after the game last night talking about Jack Flaherty tying the one and only Bob Gibson. He has an 8-0 record after his first nine starts. The last guy to do that was Bob Gibson back in 1965. And guys, right now, Jack Flaherty's on pace to be the first Cardinal starter not named Adam Wainwright to win 20 games in a season since 2005 when Chris Carpenter did exactly that. My hope right now, Alex, is that Cardinals fans are starting to jump back on board with Jack Flaherty because last year was rough and there were a lot of talk in the offseason about how Jack's not a real ace, all of these different things, right? We've talked so much about what his future is going to be here in St. Louis. Well, in his last eight starts, he's 8-0. He's thrown 49 innings. Opposing hitters are batting less than 200 against him. They have a sub-500 OPS against him. This is the guy that we saw at the start of that second half of the 2019 or yeah, the 2019 season. He's not totally there yet, but if he continues this type of a stretch, this is the Jack Flaherty that we've all been waiting for over the last calendar year. I mean, he's a Cy Young candidate. I mean, I mean, what else can you ask for? I mean, he's not going to be Jacob DeGrom. He's not going to be Max Scherzer, at least right now. Maybe he turns into those guys because he still is young, but he's a Cy Young contender. He leads the league in with eight, wins on the season and I know they're wins and people don't really care about them like but ERA. The, even the other numbers right. are right there with it. And I mean, look he at the strikeouts. A... Look at the look at the, the, the whip for Jack Flaherty. I mean he is one of the best pitchers right now in the National League. And he has a one point six ERA in these eight games. Like, I mean it's, it's right there it, with it. I mean people can sit there and say, well he's not like what he was in the second half of twenty nineteen. Well he kind of is right now. I, I mean regardless if he's given up two runs or three runs, he's still putting the Cardinals in position to win every game. And I think last year and two years ago, before that second half of the 19 run, you were judging Jack Flaherty off the fact that the team couldn't score any runs for him because he would be lights out. He'd give up maybe a run or two, but the offense wouldn't do anything. Now the offense is giving him four runs before he even steps into the mound. 
which all you can ask for is somebody who goes out there and gives up, what, two earned runs through six innings of work? I mean, Jack Flaherty is a Cy Young candidate right now, and for me, that's all I was hoping for this season. Yeah, I'm with you. Cy Young candidate for sure, and I'll eat crow. I, I said coming into this season, I said he'd be good, and I said I thought he'd be kind of an in-between of that 2019 second half and that 2019 first half. No, he he's better than that. He, he's been not the second half of 2019, but he's pretty darn close to that. He's been incredible, and... I look at him, and it's going to be nitpicking, but if you can just kind of, I don't even want to say cut down on the walks, but there are times, and we've heard it on broadcast too from uh, Jim Edmonds saying, you know, sometimes he just wastes some pitches. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has to do that. If he cuts down on just some of those quote-unquote waste pitches, there's about 10 to 15 a game, he's going to go deeper into ball games. He's a guy that could go seven innings every start and give up two or zero earned runs. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This is really interesting. So we've had multiple texts from multiple different people that have said something to the effect of, we like Jack, but he's not going to sign with us, so that's why Cardinals fans, he's not ever going to be able to win him over. Another one says, now tell me how the Cardinals will be able to sign him if he has such a great season this year. So here's the thing that I would say to that. Enjoy this while you got it. Yeah. I don't know what the future is going to hold for Jack Flaherty. But that's still two and a half years away. Like, even if he does leave on his own volition where he signs elsewhere, you have the rest of this season, you have all of 2022, you have all of 2023 to be able to look forward to. You have a legitimate Cy Young contender who right now is 25 years old, is one of the best young starters in the game. Enjoy this. Appreciate this while you got it. Guys, we might be watching a team that can compete for a World Series this year. That's in play. And Jack Flaherty is a big part of the reason why when you go into a series, maybe against the Mets, right? You mentioned he's not DeGrom. He's not. You're absolutely correct on that. But he's probably that next tier below DeGrom. If you've got Flaherty versus DeGrom in a series, you've got a shot. He gives you a chance in that kind of a series. And he's the only pitcher on this roster right now that you can really say that about. I love Wayno. He's been great for the Cardinals. He's a 4-6 ERA. He's not Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty, what he's been doing in his last eight starts, is clearly far and away your best pitcher. So when I see stuff like this, it, it honestly kind of makes me a little sad because like, enjoy this because it maybe he does leave. I don't know. Maybe he gets traded three years from now. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for him. But right now, let's enjoy what we've got because we did this with Carlos Martinez where he was great for two or three seasons and we didn't appreciate it in the moment. And now you look back and like, man, Carlos Martinez is pretty darn good back in 2016, 2017. Well, and I understand from what Jack Flaherty has said of making sure he's getting paid what he feels he is worse or worth. But he also has come out and said he doesn't understand why people are just assuming he wants to leave St. Louis and go sign with the Dodgers. Like, that's not – I mean – Mike Claiborne has talked with him about the fact that, like, yeah, I'm going to play this out. And if St. Louis wants to keep me, I'd love to be here. And if you're Jack Flaherty and you're around a team that has Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and Dylan Carlson and Tommy Edmond and a rotation behind you that is legit World Series contender, you might look at this and say, yeah, I want what I'm worth, but let's see what we can do with a contender. So, yes, it's probably a stressful situation and it might not look too pretty in terms of keeping Jack Flaherty. But if he goes out there and is a part of a World Series championship or gets the team to two World Series in the next four seasons, I think you're going to be okay with the fact that he leaves and gets $300 million. That's the thing is like if he is so great, so overwhelmingly great over the next two plus seasons that he ends up costing $300 million to be able to resign. Imagine what that's going to mean for the Cardinals. 
Like, think about that for a second. If he is a guy that gets 200 plus million dollars out on the open market, it means he was basically Jacob deGrom or Garrett Cole or whoever the best pitcher of this current moment is like that. That will be what Jack Flaherty is. And if he's that for the Cardinals and you add that to the best defense in all of baseball, which is what the Cardinals are right now and a lineup that's really coming together and looked excellent once again last night against the Pirates. I get that. This is going to lead to the Cardinals contending for World Series multiple potentially over the next three years. So that's that's got to be taken into account as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, looking at Jack Flaherty, I don't really care what happens in three years because I know this year and next year for sure that he's going to be one of those uh, guiding forces that's going to lead you to the World Series. Because what are you building the rotation around? You're building it around Jack Flaherty. Who can be that guy that's right behind him? How are you building your bullpen? Who's going to be those guys that can come in and that maybe that seventh, eighth, ninth inning that can lock down the door after Jack Flaherty gives us a solid six? And by the way, the other thing to keep in mind here is just like the way that the payroll sets up for the Cardinals. Three years from now, the Cardinals might have the flexibility to be able to re-sign him. That's not totally out of the realm of possibility. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt's deal runs through 2023. He'll have one year left after that. So that first year, yeah, maybe it's a little tough to manage with Goldie on there for $26 million and whatever it's going to cost to re-sign um, Jack Flaherty. But Michaelis is going to be off the payroll at that point. Carlos will already be gone. Wayno will be gone. You will have no expensive starting pitchers, at least that are currently on the roster. If the Cardinals want to make this work with Jack, they can. They'll have every opportunity to be able to do so. This thing doesn't kick in until 2024. We are a long way away from having that type of a conversation. And in the here and now, they are good enough that there's not going to be trade conversations until at the earliest 2023. That final year of the deal, maybe we start having the conversations. But right now, man, this guy's too important, too critical for what the Cardinals are trying to do with Nolan Arenado here. Stop living in such a uh, negative area and be so upset all the time and just enjoy the fact that Jack Flaherty's in the same company with Bob Gibson. <laughs> 65780 Amen. is the Air Comfort right. Service text line. Questions and answers is next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Comfort service text line for questions and answers. I love this from the 636. Guys, I'm sorry this isn't a sports question, but why all of a sudden is the government confirming that there are UFOs? They used to deny, deny, deny. Now they're like, yeah, they're out there. Really? Are we doing this now? Did you guys see the 60 minute story from this week? No, I, I didn't. Seen it I yet, but it's on my yeah, to-do I list. DVR'd it. For what those that don't know what DVR is, you know, you record the yeah, television. What the, what the hell is that? He doesn't know about that. Yeah. Um, it's aliens. It's amazing, really, that we have arrived at this place where people really are like, important government officials. are like, yeah, 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 there's there's definitely some UFOs that are out there. Like there's some stuff with planes where they've got technology that we don't have and it's flying out there and we're not really sure where it came from or who has it. Oh, okay, cool. Maybe this Sweet. is just a way for the government to like be okay with using anal probes and finding out things from people that they needed to know. What? Well, we're doing that, that for uh, for COVID. Well, maybe the COVID was ways for the government to. Oh, okay. If I if I now knew... we're really going down your tinfoil. I mean, I can go tinfoil if you guys like. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if we T-Bone's be... got the open ready. I don't or have not. the open, but I just grabbed the music because I didn't know we were going to talk yeah, about I mean, aliens. You can try it real quick because I, I mean, let's look at it this way. Maybe this is the way for the government to say, okay. You've been showing up at Area 51. You've been snooping around these fences. You've Alex, been making it's 520 today, not 420. Oh. 
So I shouldn't have had that earlier <laughs> no, in the office? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just saying, maybe the government's like, hey, stop stooping around. <laughs> just just look. They're real. Good luck finding them, but they're real. I, Six, I don't even know what to say to that. 65780, the best way to get, do it is just move yeah, right just along. Just pretend oh, okay. it doesn't back, happen. Back, back, to normal, back to the normal music. From the 314, guys, do you think we'll ever see another player manager in Major League Baseball? Yeah, Yadier Molina right now. <laughs> I was going to say, isn't he already doing it? I think he's probably doing that. Mike Schultz is just a facade of manager, and then Yadier Molina's like, hey, I'm the real manager. No, I do not. I do not think that we will ever see that again. The job is too hard. There's too much information that you have to take in to be able to do that. I do not believe that we will see anything like that again in baseball. I agree. Do you think we could see it in any other sport? I think if there's one sport it could happen in, I think it would be basketball. I was about to say, if there is one, it'd be that. But no, I, I don't. I don't think that we'll ever see that again. I Honestly, it's amazing to me that we ever saw it at any point. I agree with that. It's the cheap option. Sure. You know? I mean, it's the cheap oh, option rather than spending money on oh. a manager and a player. Well, you just play, wait, you could do both, can't you? I, I didn't even think of that. So, yeah, Tampa Bay is going to have a uh, Pirates. Coach the Pirates aren't even a real oh, team. Pirates, too. Yeah. So, I was stunned that Jack Flaherty got through the first two innings last night. He he walked like three batters in the second inning, and I was like, no hitter still intact. You not only BKO Jack Flaherty, get the punch ready, T-Bone. You BKO Jack Flaherty in terms of the no hitter, but you BKO Jack Flaherty on the fact that oh, he's going to go out there and just dominate the Pirates. I had a lot of walks, yeah. and then on top of it, you BKO'd the Cardinals by saying, "Oh, heck, they should have both put it on Bally Sports Midwest because that game, that game will be over by the game. That game went until like t- that game was going on in the second period of the Blues game. It was amazing. Man. I." I'm surprised Danny Mac didn't like just come after you at the beginning of the show. It would have been totally justified. That's honestly on me. Uh, I apologize to all of you for having to watch that game. Well, it was still fun. Well, the last few innings were not. Oh, man, I loved it. I had guys. I had a command center set up in here. <laughs> I had I had Stanley Cup playoff game, Stanley Cup playoff game. I had on my laptop, the NBA. And then on my computer right here, I had the Cardinals. Well, that sounds nice. Just command center, baby. Oh, I wish you would have invited us. No, you're not allowed. Alex you're was not allowed living here. his best life here in the studio. Uh, it was one o'clock in the morning, and I was thinking, oh, my baby's going to be up in about four hours. That's why he's on coffee number seven right oh, now. Oh, my God. So many coffees. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Uh, let's go with this one from the 314. Guys, what areas do you think the Blues need to focus on improving this offseason to be able to close the gap with teams like the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche? Well, first things first, you, you need somebody who can find the back of the net in the top six. Uh, I mean, scoring goals. scoring goals leads to wins. I don't know if you guys knew this in hockey. Write that down, BK. Thank you. But oh, you got O'Reilly and Perron. Score goals. Get a better pen, Score Tanner. Score goals on the power play. Where, you win. You win games. Look, you, you got Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron have been a lethal one-two punch. Braden Shen, I think, is a centerman. You need a couple guys on his wing, and Tarasenko and Schwartz have not been that. Guys, Vladimir Tarasenko did not have a shot on goal last night. They've I didn't even recognize him right last now. night. He didn't have a shot on goal. Like, that That can't happen right now. So, it, it, go ahead. I, I'm going to go ahead and say this, and I am a Vladdy defender. I have defended that dude since the day that I got here to St. Louis. he appreciates that. If Perron is back for game three, I think you sit Vladdy. I I think that if you look at the right wing, right wingers that you have in the top nine right now, Kairou, Perron, Hoffman, those are the guys that I would go with in game three. 
Vladdy would be sitting for him. I think I'd be playing him on the fourth line and just say, hey, Vladdy. I don't do think he would accept it. Get one or the other, then. That's what I'm saying. Mm. If he'll play on the fourth line, I'll put him on the fourth line. But yeah. I... Look, he just... he. You can't close the gap with Colorado right now, in my opinion, because Colorado's Colorado is in that prime real estate that the Chicago Blackhawks were with a young Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane. Like you got these guys as cost controlled players sooner or later, they're going to hit some salary cap situations when Nathan McKinnon gets a raise, when Gabriel Landeskog's the free unrestricted free agent this offseason, when Kale McCarr needs to get paid, Devon Taves, Philip Grubauer, they're going to hit a time where people need to get paid. And at that point, then you start to see things change a little bit. So I don't think you can offset what Colorado does. Like you can't compete with that line because they're so good. But what you can do is you can build better depth. And the Blues just don't have depth right now because of the injuries. I do think they need a nasty presence on the blue line. I am done with watching players buy out real estate in front of Jordan Bennington and not be touched. And I think some of that will be fixed with Pareko at full health. I think I, that, I think that I helps. Think he was things. on the ice for the one that stood out to me last night was on. I think it was that power play goal by uh, Donskoy. Donskoy. Mm-hmm. There are two defenders on the right and left of Bennington, and there's two guys on the power play standing in front of. Him. I could have went and stood I don't in know, front of the goal. I just don't know if Colton Pareko's that guy. Maybe not, but I I know right now he's not. And, and, and part of that is because of the injury. It's not the full explanation, Alex. You're absolutely correct. And they need to add somebody. What I'm saying is I think it gets better when he's at 100%. That doesn't mean it's fixed. Um, you definitely need another guy, like you're saying, to be able to come you in and who be that, that is? player. Yeah, it's your boy down, down in Dallas. Damn right. Jamie Alexiak, bring your 6'7 sexy self here to St. Louis and start cleaning up the crease. Final Whoa. quick thing here before we get into how the Blues can close the gap between the top players of the Avs and the top players for the Blues. From the 636, if Max Scherzer were to sign with the Cardinals in 2022, what do you think that the Cardinals rotation would look like? 2022. So, so next offseason. Flaherty, one. Scherzer, two. I think it would go Dakota Hudson, three. Miles Michaelis, four. And then KK's a free agent. I don't think you bring him back. Um, Martinez is a free agent. I don't think you bring him back. Yep. You have Wayne Wright. So maybe well, Wainwright. Wayno is a free agent this yeah, offseason as well. So unless he retires, I think you bring him back. But maybe I, he's a five or maybe he's a bullpen pitcher for you. Maybe. I, I think if you bring in Scherzer, though, you're probably not going to bring back Wayno. At least that would be my sense. I think your fifth starter would be a competition between Oviedo, Libertor, and Thompson. And if I'm not mistaken, Libertor's doing well in AAA. Thompson's kind of struggling. So I think right now, if I had to say, I agree with your first four, Alex, and then I would go with my fifth one. I think they would go with Libertor right I now. I think I would, too, because he's a lefty. Yeah. And it depends on how he progresses, though, because if, I don't think if he has a if he doesn't if he doesn't perform lights out in Memphis this season. I don't know if you if you rush him to the bigs. And I don't see Ray as being a starter next year. I'm very either. interested to see what Hudson's recovery looks like yeah, as well. That's because a big one. if he's not at 100 percent, what you could do is you could almost go with a six man rotation to start off the year where you've got Flaherty, Scherzer, Michaelis, Reyes, Libertor, and then Hudson could be you there just, at the back end. You just want to keep using that six-man rotation, don't Seems you? Seems to be working well for him right now. Ew. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, the Blues need to get more from their top players, and my God, could they stop or at least slow down McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen? We'll no. talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Everybody have a bulls here. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
can't go into a series against Colorado expecting, you know, Jordan Cairo and, and Sammy Blay to do the scoring. It, it's got to be the Tarasenko's. Tarasenko, no shots on goal last night. No shots on goal. I, I, I don't know how that happens. And, and so uh, when you start to get performances from some of those top guys, if they want to show up and play, you know, then you might have a series. Like, you can defend all you want. You can show the emotional, drop the gloves. Let's, you can show all that stuff. But if you don't get out there and produce to a percentage of the level that Nate McKinnon and Landis Gog and these guys are, you, you have no chance. Nathan McKinnon, Landis Gog, Rantanen. Did you forget their first names? No, I just prefer <laughs> to go that way. <laughs> Nathan <laughs> McKinnon. Landis Skog and it's funny, you know, Landis Landis Skog's first name. We do this Gabriel. with certain guys, right? Someone yeah. called him Gabrielle the other day, and I'm like, oh, come on. That's good. For some reason, we do this with certain guys where it's like they get the full name and then other guys get the last name treatment, right? Yeah. For some reason, for me, in my mind, Landis Gog and Rantanen are just it's those are their names. But usually when it's first usually when it's just the last name, that player is more elite than the guys that you use their full name. Nathan McKinnon. But Nathan is McKinnon's. A full I feel like when you use Nathan McKinnon's name, you're sitting there saying like, "This is Nathan McKinnon. Nobody <laughs> will compete with this man." And there's been some truth to that in this series. Unfortunately for the Blues, <laughs> those three at the top line of the Avalanche have combined for 16 points in two games. Ooh. Again, 16 points in the first two games of this series. McKinnon, Landeskog, they are both plus five when they're on the ice. Rand is a plus three when he is on the ice. I can mean, I, can I one up you real quick? Sometimes it's very simple to be able to give the analysis of this stuff. Their top line has been better yeah. than anything the Blues have. Can I one up you real quick? Please do. 21 points for Nathan McKinnon in 10 games against the Blues this season. Jeez. 21 wow. points in 10 games. Now, if you go into that, and I didn't get the chance to do this because it was a late one last night, but. There have been a lot of power play points from those guys considered to even strength. It is part of the game. That, to me, is the biggest mystery. And Curb said it on the broadcast last night. I don't understand how a penalty kill that has been okay this season, but in the past has been one of the best in the National Hockey League, has no answer for that power play. And it's not like the power play is just hemming you in your own zone and just peppering you with shots. They're beating you off of the first shot on the power play. Like, they had two power plays last night, and they scored on two shots. That can't happen. And a lot of that is from what we were just talking about. Guys standing in front of the net. I referenced Jeremy's article yesterday on The Athletic with you guys, the one where he talked with uh, former NHL defenseman Curtis Foster. And there was a quote from Foster that I loved that, to a T, explains why the Blues are struggling with this line. Gabriel Landeskog, or Gabriel Landeskog, however you want to go with it, Mm T-Bone. He was in front of the net for that goal on Monday night where he gets the tip. And Curtis Foster said he gets a goal or he earns a goal and doesn't take any skin for it, which means this guy doesn't get thrown to the ice. This guy doesn't get a cross check to the back or a slash to the legs. He just gets to stand there and wait for the puck to come to him. That to me is the sole reason why this team is struggling against against this top line, because nobody's blocking shots from Nathan McKinnon on the blue line. Nobody's shoving players out of the front of the crease to get those deflections away. Jordan Bennington is having to do miraculous things in net because he can't see the puck half the time. It's brutal. Um, and the guys that have to step up for the Blues, we talked about it going into the series. I said the guy that I, the line that I would like to see really step up is uh, the Cairo, Robert Thomas, Hoffman, and when they have that together, that line. It's really the top six, mm-hmm. right? The, the top six are who you need to get going. Ryan O'Reilly, Jaden Schwartz, Vladdy have combined for zero points in this series. Right. 
I mean, I mean th- that that's not the way that this team's going to win. Mike Hoffman has one goal. Braden Shin has one goal. They have zero assists so far in this series. If your top six forwards are not going to produce against the team that is dominant because of their top line, well, then the Blues just aren't going to be able to win this series. It, it, it sometimes we we can dive into the X factors and we can look at like the X, Y, and Z reasons why a team will win or lose. Ryan O'Reilly, Jaden Schwartz, Vladdy Tarasenko, Mike Hoffman, Braden Shin, when David Perron gets back, those are your guys. Those are your dude that are highly paid. They're making five, six, seven million dollars per season. Hoffman and Schwartz in particular are playing right now to get paid in the offseason. They gotta they gotta step up and produce. And really, we talked about Vladdy in the last segment. Zero shots on goal. Zero last night. He's got one in two games and he's a minus four. And he had a couple of really good chances in the first like six minutes when the Blues were playing well in game number one. And since then, he's basically disappeared. Uh-huh. I haven't noticed him on the ice, and that's a problem. And so it, when you're when you're going through the analysis of this series, that's a huge part of it. You, you need your best players to play like your best guys, and they haven't been so far for the Blues. Yeah, look, you got three shots in two games from Braden Shen. Now he scores the goal on the power play, but three shots from your second-line center or top wing. That can't do Jaden Schwartz. He's got five shots on goal, which is really good, and he's going to the front of the net but you got to find the back of the net and the blues aren't getting that from Jaden Schwartz. And look, Jaden Schwartz to me, he's the one that I sit here and I'm so, it's so hard to be critical for him because he has had probably the toughest year of anybody, especially when you lose your father at the beginning of the season and then you go through a pandemic. And I know people say that's just an excuse, but look, that's not an easy thing to go through. Zach Sanford had it happen a couple of years ago, but you still are needing more from Jaden Schwartz. And then there's Vladimir Tarasenko. To me, that's the, that's the biggest one out of all of this. I mean, you can't have one shot from your guy who's making seven and a half million dollars. And look, I don't know if the shoulder's still bothering him. I don't know if he's playing at 50% right now or if he's just not confident on the ice because he's worried about that injury. But if that's the case, then you don't need to be out there because you need somebody who can convert there. Part of me wonders too, BK, and this would be more of a question for Jamie Rivers or Craig Berube, but part of me wonders is if you're better bet is to take Ryan O'Reilly off of that matchup against the top line for McKinnon and Ranton and Landeskog. And just say, hey, they're going to get us. Let's see if we can exactly. get one of their other lines. They're going to go out there and, and and score that way. Maybe someone has better luck against these guys. Maybe if we put a line out there of Schwartz, Shannon, Cairo, maybe they have a little bit more success against that sure. line. But you know what that does? That creates a mismatch for O'Reilly and Perron. And honestly, I'm done with these experiments. Put Sammy Blay on that top left wing because Sammy Blay creates offense when he's a top six forward. Him or Barbie. Him or Barbie. I think Barbyshev needs to be on the fourth line for you because I think he creates an identity down there. I just want him on the ice, and that fourth line is not getting enough playing time. And so if if you're only going to roll him out for seven, eight minutes on on five-on-five ice time, I don't want Barbie that low on on my totem play. I want him to play. So I want him getting 15, 16 minutes. That's what the top six are getting right now. That's that's the tough part. That's the problem. I mean, look, your fourth line, which was an identity factor for you in – the playoff run in the past, those were the guys that matched up against the other team's top line and they shut them down. They're playing eight minutes in a hockey game and all they're doing is going out there and throwing body checks around. Now, they did score a goal, but that was created off of a line shift and a line change while Braden Shen's line was out there. So if the Blues want to have some success and start finding some offense, for me, if if I'm taking another positive away from it, BK, they exposed Philip Grubauer last night. 
Grubauer is not this invincible goaltender people thought he was. Coming into the game, I think he allowed two goals on 100 the previous shots that he saw. He's not invincible. You got to just get into the grill and start frustrating him a little bit. But I might take Ryan O'Reilly's line off of that matchup against McKinnon and say, look, these guys are going to find a way to do it no matter what. Let's see if someone else has success, but let's get a mismatch for O'Reilly. It's kind of like in basketball, right? You've got, um, for example, last night, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, you you know Steph Curry's going to go for 30. Yeah. He's going to get his. What do the other guys do? What does Andrew Wiggins do against you? What do you allow Draymond Green to do? Make sure those guys don't beat you. If they don't beat you, yeah, uh, you're going to get a 35, 40 point effort out of Steph Curry. But if the other guys go uh, shoot 35% from the field, you're going to win that basketball game. Mm -hmm. Same thing potentially for the Blues. Yes, Nathan McKinnon's going to get his. He is. He's that good. But maybe if you take Ryan O'Reilly off of that matchup, Maybe Ryan O'Reilly sudden become, suddenly becomes a more effective player because he's not chasing this dude around the ice for 200 feet. And so maybe he's getting more involved offensively. It's not quite as draining of a matchup defensively for him. It's worth a shot, man, well, because you do what it, you're doing right now is clearly not working. Well, and you do it now because you have the final matchup. So you know what? If you go out there and you start saying, okay, these guys, let's hypothetically say these guys are going to find the back of the net at least twice. Their line combination is going to have two two goals. Well, then don't go out there and see if you can find some mismatch on the other side because we know O'Reilly and Perron can score goals if Perron is back on Friday. We know that Shen Schwartz and Kairou can score goals. We know Tarasenko, Thomas, off these guys can score goals. Maybe we need to flip these matchups around a little bit. I know O'Reilly's the best defensive forward on your team, but he's been outmatched. So maybe somebody else can have some success against that Nathan McKinnon line rather than what you've been doing. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues versus Avs game three tomorrow night. Pre-game coverage with Alex will begin tomorrow at 730. It's a pivotal game, man. If they lose that one, the series is more or less over. If they get a win, though... Uh, maybe you get a little bit of momentum. You're back on home ice. That's a big one. We'll talk about that more as we go along here today. Joey Vitale joining us at about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, I don't think this is a Wally Pip situation. I do think we could see a player right now that is earning himself more playing time moving forward, though. I'll tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And the 0-1 pitch, lined, oh, Sosa at the play. Outstanding, takes a hit away from Kevin Newman. Lined, caught again, Sosa, his second diving catch. What a play. And Mundo Sosa has been great in the last couple of games since he's been taking over as the Cardinals starting shortstop with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. This is not a Wally Pip situation. You Paul, sure? Paul DeYoung is not going to lose his job. He's your starting shortstop. That's not going to change. However, he did Wally Pip somebody. I do think that there is a chance that Edmundo Sosa is earning himself more playing time moving forward. One of the issues that we've talked about, we talked about it in the, um, the spring training time, the offseason, all that. Paul DeYoung, by the end of the season, is on fumes. And the second half numbers compared to his first half numbers are always significantly worse for him. If Edmundo Sosa keeps this up, and that's a big if, over the next 10 days or so while DeYoung is out, I think you can make a strong case that Edmundo Sosa, the rest of the year, until things change, should get at least a start a week 
for the Cardinals. Give Paul DeYoung a little bit of time off because Edmundo Sosa so far has been an upgrade defensively over Paul DeYoung and at the plate. Frankly, he's been an upgrade so far as well. Again, very small sample size, though. Okay, before we go any further, I think all three of us need to uh, send an apology out to Edmundo Sosa for calling him Edmundo Soso this Uh, season. I'm not willing to go that far just yet. One, two, three, guys. We're sorry, Edmund. Okay, seriously? Okay, BK's the one who came up with the uh-uh. name. No, you said it too. Uh-uh. I just bought uh, it. Uh, part of me wonders if we are getting to the Wally Pip situation. Yeah, and, he, he got rid of Rondo. And, and I... <laughs> why'd you point up? He's still fine. He's down in Memphis. Um, That's basically... I get Paul DeYoung brings the home runs. I, I get he brings the power, and he does have very good defense. But Edmundo Sosa is better defensively. And Edmundo Sosa is a contact hitter. You got a lot of power hitters in your lineup. Like, I mean... Arenado, Goldschmidt, Tyler O'Neill. I'd even throw Harrison Bader into this conversation, although he has become a little bit more of a contact hitter. The only contact hitters you have on this team, Tommy Edmond, Yadier Molina, and... Dylan Carlson. A little Dylan Carlson, but I think there's some power there with Dylan Carlson, sure. but it's more like double power with this guy. Edmundo Sosa can be a singles hitter. And Edmundo Sosa can be a lethal hitter for you if you drop him down into the eight spot and move Harrison Bader up to the seven spot. That's speed on the base paths. That's excellent defense at shortstop. And on top of it, you're getting a little more offense down there. And you're not putting somebody in the middle that is either going to hit a home run or strike out. And look, I hope Paul DeYoung pays off. I hope that this guy could become a five-hole hitter for you. But right now, I wouldn't pull Edmundo Sosa out of the lineup if or if not Paul DeYoung's healthy. At the very least, it allows you to give Paul DeYoung a little bit more of a resting period, right? You're not rushing him back while Edmundo Sosa is yeah, playing like this. July 31st. The other thing that I do find really interesting, Alex, and you, you kind of got to this, Edmundo Sosa has some history of being a pretty good hitter in the minors. Now, we haven't seen it in the majors. He has not hit any time, whether it be spring training or during the regular season that he's been up in the big leagues. But in the minors in 2019, he was a 290 hitter. He ended up hitting for a little bit of pop that year. He had 17 homers in AAA. That's not nothing. That is something that you can absolutely read into a bit. And that was over 500 plate appearances. So again, not a small sample size down in AAA. It's different doing it in the bigs than it is in AAA. If he continues this, I would like to see a little bit more of an extended opportunity for him. We got a text, 65780 is here, comfort service text line from the 636. Guys, it was like two days ago you were saying the Cardinals have no infield depth and you wrote off Sosa completely. Yeah, Yeah, I came up with a list. Guys to acquire. This is why I'm adding all of my disclaimers. I don't know if Sosa can keep this up long term. I do know we can pick it. We've seen that. He's good defensively. We saw early on Andrew Kisner looked great at the plate and behind the plate. And then after about four or five days. Yeah, once TKO'd him over here. He started. Whoa. He still looks great behind the plate. He was good defensively. His bat really stopped playing. Yeah. He, he ended up going from like a 300 hitter to a 100 hitter. That's what I want to see as these big league teams get a little bit more of a book on what Edmundo Sosa does at the plate. Let's find out what he looks like a week from now. It's early. It's very early. But if he's able to adjust, that's when maybe he deserves to get a little bit of an extended playing time. But maybe we didn't know with Sosa because you haven't been able to see sustain. We've heard so much about how pinch hitting is such a hard thing to do. And Edmundo Sosa basically has been that. He's been a pinch hitter for you. Maybe he'll get a start here and there. If you give him some sustained starting opportunities, maybe this guy starts to find a little bit of a groove because he has been a really good hitter for you in the minors. I I would like to see more of this, like you said, but I do think this is on the cusp of a Wally Pip situation. 
if he continues to produce this, because I don't know if you rush Paul DeYoung back. Now, look, I say that. I know what the Cardinals are going to do. As soon as yeah. Paul DeYoung's ready, it's like, oh, see you, Sosa, back to the bench. But for right now, I, I would look at this and say, ah, we can't take this guy out of the lineup. You ride the hot hitter just like you ride the hot hand, and right now he's been a hot hitter for you. It's amazing because Sosa's only got, I think, 20 plate appearances, and I've rode this roller coaster heading into spring training. He was number 20 on my most important <laughs> yeah. Cardinals. You were the highest one on him, and yeah, then you true. ended up being the lowest well, guy. Well, yeah, this new Tater jumped off the boat before anything happened. Yeah, well, because Rondon stole my heart, and he still has That's my weird. heart. That's and weird. Sosa, it's and now a really Sosa, weird team. Sosa's starting to get my heart back. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> but yeah. Super I, swipe? Definitely. Uh, but I look at Sosa, too, and I agree with you, BK. I mean, if he can give just. DeYoung some time off those five days I think is what we've said you know if he plays five days Sosa gets two in a seven day period I, I honestly believe that's going to benefit Paul DeYoung so you're going to see a five times I'm sorry that's probably too much two times better Paul DeYoung because he's not getting fatigued that's always like we've talked about that's always been his big thing and Sosa is really good defensively and you mentioned him in the minors how he's always been a good hitter in the minor leagues that pop from 2019 where I think you said, what, 17 home 17 runs? 17 home runs that year. He added that in 2019. So Came out of nowhere because he was a 5-7 to seven home run guy previously in his career. I think it was I, – I, God, just don't go back to that Sosa. Like, stay a contact hitter. We, we don't, you don't You don't need any more power hitters in this lineup. You need contact hitters. I wouldn't mind if he had some pop to him. Like 10 home runs. I'd There's rather. a happy medium. 15 homers, like in the minors, if that translates to 5-10 to 10 in the big leagues, that's perfectly that's fine. fine. We yeah. saw it last night, right, with the double – like that that's the kind yeah. of power that I would like to see. A gap to gap hitter, similar to what we've seen a lot of these this Dylan Carlson. Yeah. If you can be like sixty percent of Dylan Carlson, because Carlson's been awesome for them. If you can be that as Edmundo Sosa and you're you're contributing defensively the way that he has, man, that's a super valuable player that you can you have, know, especially as a backup shortstop. You know what I like about Sosa too, though, that I think is another variable of why I feel like he should be in the lineup more? He's got a little bit of a spunk to him. He's got yeah, a little bit does. of fire to him. I mean, did you see his celebration after he made that diving catch? I mean, even Sticking Nolan, Ar- tongue out, was yeah, great. even Nolan Arenado walked over and was like enjoying that. So think about that. You got Dylan Carlson, Carlson, who's got some fire in him. We know Harrison Bader has all of the swag out there, and you got Arenado along with Edmundo Sosa and Yadier Molina behind the plate. I mean, that's a lot of intense guys on the field that I think benefits a team in series like the ones where you match up against the Padres. I love it when guys get an opportunity and they take advantage of it. And what we've seen very small samples so far, I I can't say that enough. We've seen that from Edmundo Sosa. We saw it early on from Kisner. He ended up taking advantage of that. He knew he was auditioning, not just for the Cardinals, but for 29 other teams. I think we're seeing that right now from Edmundo Sosa as well. The other thing that's important for me, too, is can he play second base? I think he can a little bit. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, he can. Because Tommy Emma's going to need a day off, guys. He's played in every game so far this season. That's not sustainable. And we kind of saw that back end of that Padres series, it kind of looked a little fatigued from Tommy Emmon. He's had two days off in the last four here, so he's going to look better. But if he can play second base and just give you a couple days of Tommy Emmon to get some rest and be good defensively at second base, I think that's important, too, rather than having to throw Carpenter there at second base where they're not great defensively or at the plate. That's the other thing that needs to be brought up here. The thing that Edmundo Sosa has done is he has made Matt Carpenter's role on this team exclusively as pinch hitter. I wonder what Pujols is doing right now. Matt Carpenter, I don't think we're going to see him out in the field very often at all moving forward. And if you guys just look at the at-bats right now, there, every regular has more at bats so far this year than Matt Carpenter. Justin Williams has more at bats now by twenty than Matt Carpenter, and Harrison Bader is right behind him. Carpenter has seven more at bats this season than uh, Austin or the, than Andrew Kisner. Seven. 
to be fair, Kisner had a run as a starter. For like a week and a half. I mean, they, yeah, you TKO'd him. Matt Ooh, Carpenter is no longer. I, I know a lot of the a lot of Cardinals fans early on wanted to see Carpenter have a less significant role. We're seeing that now. And Edmundo Sosa doing this with his opportunity is only going to keep contributing to that. Didn't even get to my tinfoil Ferrari here. We'll have to save it. We'll, we'll get to that coming oh. up in about 30 minutes. Coming up next, Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. We'll answer all of the questions about what's gone wrong for the Blues. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by the Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brownie and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by the happiest man I've ever met. His name is Joey Vitale. He's a blues analyst for 101 ESPN. He's like Disney World of guests for us. Joey, how you doing today, man? Yeah, I appreciate that intro, guys. Yeah, like Happy Feet. All that Penguin movie where the penguins dancing on his feet all day long. I try to I try to emulate that. It's, it's sometimes some days are easier than others. Got a lot of kids, a lot, a lot of responsibilities, <laughs> but for the most part, I try to be happy today. How are your dance moves, Joe? I, you know, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I feel the rhythm with a couple tequilas in me. That's good. Um, definitely the martinis get the feet loose a little bit. But like Whitey Herzog, my good buddy, my next door neighbor, actually, I grew up next to Whitey Herzog my whole life. He still lives two doors down. I'm actually at my parents' house right now with my little one. And I'm literally looking at Whitey Herzog's house right now here in Sunset Hills. Like he said to me once, he said, Joe, you know, margaritas, they're like, they're like women's breasts. You know, one's not enough and three's too many. So you just got to be careful with those. <sighs> That's incredible. He really, is, he really is the happiest man on earth. And I can say that because Whitey Herzog said That's it. That's right. That was a quote. That's like when you say no offense and you can't be offended because technically you said no offense. Yeah, you, you said with all due respect, so you're, yeah. you're totally in the clear. <laughs> hey, Joey, what happened last night to the Blues? They lost, BK. <laughs> he didn't stay. It was Joe. a late night, man. What are you asking? What are you asking of me? Uh, you know what? I was actually into it until the final probably two minutes of that game. Surprisingly, yeah. look at the six-three scoreboard, and you're like, ah, it looks like the, the Colorado ran away with another one. But it was actually pretty tight, and it was an exciting game. You know, the Blues fell down the hole early there. I think Colorado really took a step back. They kind of stopped playing, but we started to see Blues hockey there a little bit, at least what it looked like for about I'd say twenty, thirty minutes of the midsection of that game, which was very promising. You know, they claw back into that game, and I, I honestly thought they were going to tie it. I thought they were going to tie it there with a few minutes to go. Nico Miko had a great chance on the backhand from Tarasenko uh, when it was a 3-2 to two game. Of course, then that's when we saw the empty netter, unfortunately, and things kind of got sealed from there. But I, w- I will say one thing. Uh, well, I'll say two things. Number one is, as we know, we are heavily outmatched. This is a very healthy Colorado team that's fast, executes, and is very confident. And on the counterpart, we're the opposite right now. We're extremely beat up. We dealt with COVID a lot this year, tough travel in the West, and now we're dealing with more injuries, which we can get into in a couple of minutes. But, you know, um, so that's number one. And, and number two, uh, this is still a resilient group. I look at that game last night with all the injuries in that third period, the way the first couple of games have gone in Colorado. The Blues could have just folded the tent and just got ready to go home, but they didn't. And that, to me, is what, what this team is all about, the pride they continue to wear and represent on that, that, that front of that sweater there, which is which is pretty remarkable. Again, you're, you're a flick of the wrist away from tying that game, which is 
which is a pretty cool thing, and I think that's something they can build on moving forward. Joe, what do you think's going on with Vladdy? I mean, he for all we know, and we don't get to be in the locker room and talk to him, but for all we know, he could still be dealing with some type of injury and not playing anywhere near 100%. But you got one shot from number 91 in two games right now mm-hmm. in the playoffs. You know what? I, I, I'm going to give Vladdy the benefit of the doubt here just because we don't know enough. Listen, with, with COVID, when playoffs are tight in general with injuries and things like this, but especially with COVID, we have no access to players. We have no access to the team. Um, so I'm looking at players like Vladdy and, and, and some other players on this Blues team that maybe you're expecting a little bit more from to kind of turn this series around. Uh, but Vladdy's missed basically two years of hockey. Uh, he went from his shoulder to a lower body injury. That's why he missed the last you know couple weeks heading into this playoffs. To me, I, I actually think it's a great thing he's at least given it a shot. I do not think he's 100% healthy. I think he needs to give his body way more time to recover from anything that's going on with his lower body injury. But again, it's, it's the pride and it's the, it's the fact that he wants to be out there. Uh, to me, that, that's got to be a plus, and you've got to give him kudos for that. Uh, but again, keep looking at what needs to improve with his game. Uh, put all that aside for a minute. You know, Craig Berube has said it best. They need him to be more of a power forward. Uh, I think Vladdy has a tendency uh, and he has a history of having these remarkable shots from the outside, whether it be on the power play or five on five. Uh, he's got such a snappy shot where it comes off his stick like power, just a huge little pop, and he can pick a corner like no other. And he can still do all those things. But with playoff style of hockey and with how tight things are becoming and where he has it at with his game as far as his confidence level, I think for things to really kind of get shaped up and turn around, you're going to look, have to look at Vladdy less of a sniper, more as a power forward. You know, with dipping the shoulder, getting to the net, being on top of that crease, you know, kind of playing that kind of snarly, dirty hockey, or maybe he's going to take one off the skate or the shin pad to kind of get things rolling. But the good news is for Vladdy, as we've seen in the past five, six, seven years, he's a streaky guy. If he can get one, boy, his feet start to get going, and then he can really turn a game on its head. Joe, how tough is that to try and convert the mindset of a player into a different role like Vladdy wants to be a sniper Vladdy views himself as a sniper but if you're Craig Berube you're trying to get him to accept that role of being a power forward and a presence in front of the net well it's hard it's hard number one mentally for a player to kind of get through that but then then really it's it's even harder physically and that's why I keep coming back to maybe the injury yeah where maybe he's not 100 percent um does he look as fast as he has in the past no uh the shots to me is it's still there I know a lot of fans and people are speculating, is it something to do with the shoulder? Are we ever going to see Vladdy come back to where he was before these shoulder injuries? My answer to that is yes. I've seen his shot. I've seen his power. I've seen him be physical and, and kind of rub guys off in front of the net or in the corner. And I think, I think strength-wise, upper body, he is, he is there. I just think from him getting up to speed, he's missed a lot of time and dealing with a low body injury coming into this playoffs is something that he is just not prepared for, especially when you're looking at a Colorado team that's probably the fastest in the National Hockey League. Joey, and we're talking to Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. He'll be on the call for Blues versus Avalanche tomorrow night. Pre-game coverage with Alex begins tomorrow at 730. Let's let's operate under the assumption that the Blues find a way to be able to get uh, David Perron back into the lineup. And fingers crossed that that will be the case this weekend. How big of a boost would that be for this team if they can get him back? Well, it'll be a major boost, uh, especially because of the injuries now that we're starting to see what's happening in game two. Um, do we see him tomorrow night? I don't think so because I'm just looking at the timeline. Jake Wallman was put on the COVID list before David Perron, and it appears that Jake Wallman won't even be available for tomorrow night's yeah. game. As we, we, we first thought, I think, like, I think last week we were saying Jake may be ready for game three. We were hopeful of that. But now with him not being ready for game three, you really have to figure that's going to at least push at least a game back for David Perron, maybe two. So will he be ready for game five? That, that's possible. Mm. It's, it's, there's potential there. You know, but so then that means the Blues have to come into St. Louis for the next three nights and have a split, which is going to be a difficult thing to do, especially missing David Prom. But it can be done. 
But you like to think if for game five, when you're traveling back to Colorado, if you can get DP 57 back in the lineup, what does that do for you? What does it make? does amazing things for you. It does um, a power play unit that's going to just take off because you have a one-timer option instead of Tyler Bozak on that right side. Uh, five on five, you're looking at probably the toughest puck possessor on this team. I think Ryan O'Reilly is probably the best stripper probably on the team as far as how he can take pucks away from people. Mm-hmm. But as far as when you have the puck and holding on to it, I think David Prowse may be the best in the National Hockey League. And that leads to a lot of offensive zone time where the Blues can get out there, shift up, shift, wave after wave. Uh, David's got an incredible shot. But more importantly than all the physical things he, and the attributes he brings to the actual game, let's talk about who he is as a personality, what he is in the locker room. You know, Braden Shen told us you know, last week he's probably the loudest player in that room. He's just an energy guy. Uh, he's always talking. He's always you know, got that motor going. He's kind of you know, disrupting things on the bench, kind of causing chaos at team breakfast and just kind of just getting, just getting in the rhythm of things and kind of getting the flow of things and bringing energy to the group. I think that's something that Blue Team really needs right now. It's just energy, that Pat Maroon energy, guys showing up and just kind of shooting the breeze in the locker room, just doing their thing. That's what David brings, and that's what the Blues have really missed over the last couple of games. If they do get Perron back, Joe, would you, if you're Craig Berube, consider giving Sammy Blay a heightened role going into this game number three? Because down 2-0, I would imagine you look at some changes with your roster. But Sammy Blay, we've seen him perform in a top six role, and of course he scores that goal last night. Yeah, I think you do, Alex. I think that's a good point. I think that he's going to continue to... Uh, revolve these lines. I mean, I'm looking at a couple of players in last night's game that really stood out. Jordan Cairo, he was converting on a lot of chances. I think he deserves top six minutes moving into game three. And the other one that could be a bit of a surprise, but to your point, I think it could be an accurate one, is Sammy Blay. You know, he does score that goal from behind the net, but this again, this is a streaky guy that when you kind of elevate him from a healthy scratch or a fourth line to a first line, he's, he's showed you in the past he can step up and get points right away. So, I mean, I look at Sammy Blay's goal last night, and this, and this is a positive heading into Game 3, not, for, not just for Sammy, but for this entire team. The, the one positive I, I will say, uh, at least there's a couple positives, but the one big one I really liked about Game 2 heading into Game 3, I think, I think you're starting to see that Philip Grubauer is, is pretty human. You know, I think that's something that, you know, a lot of players and, and a lot of, you know, fans and uh, experts in the league, are just they look at his goals against average, which is under two, which has gotten got him in that Vesna conversation. Um, best goals against average in the National Hockey League. I think he had a 1.6 goals against average in that building, the ball, ball arena in Denver. So just insane numbers. But you look at Sammy Blaze kind of goal, kind of a fluky goal off his back leg. Heck, I look at Mike Hoffman's goal during that third period that got within one. I mean, a slap shot underneath his armpit. Those are those kind of leaky goals that, you know, goalies that aren't really feeling it are starting to let up. So, yes, he had a great game one, but game two, it seems like he slid off there a little bit. I think that really could be uh, one of the Blues' only hopes kind of moving forward if, if they can really figure out Grubauer, get a couple dirty kind of off-angle goals, which they're hoping for, and then just continue to do your best to shut this thing down. Joey, final thing for you before we get you out of here. So a couple of days ago, we played a game with our producer, Tanner Hendrickson, who you know well. T-Bone. T-Bone. Tanner was asked questions about the 90s because he grew up in the 2000s, of course. He's a young kid. And we were curious if you would be able to get these because Tanner said they were just too hard. They were really hard, The questions were too difficult. So here's here's a couple of them for you, Joey. Could you name two Spice Girls... And could you name two Backstreet Boys, two of the members of the Spice Girls or two of the members of the Backstreet Boys? And we don't need the actual names of the Spice Girls, Joe. We need like the the nicknames of the Spice Girls. Well, yeah, I mean, there's Ginger Spice, there's Sports Spice, there's Scary Spice. uh, There's There's Sporty Scary, I know there's three in the top five. Uh, Baby Spice, that's the fourth one. And what is that fifth one? Isn't there a fifth one? 
Yeah, there's a fifth one. What, what, we, we both have to look it up because ba I don't. Baby, did you say baby yeah, spice? Ginger spice, I, I oh, baby. Posh, posh spice. That's posh. the Beckham. Oh my gosh, posh spice. That's right. Victoria she was David Beckham. Beckham's, uh, yeah, David Beckham. Uh, and then for of course the Backstreet Boys. Listen, I was a huge Insane fan, but I also love Backstreet Boys. Uh, AJ McLean was a good one. Howie Durow, Nick Carter. Nick Carter was the most popular one. That yep. guy, he got in some trouble, but uh, he also had a brother that got in some trouble too. Um, what was the guy that with was the stunning. Kevin? Kevin yep. and Brian. I don't know the last Oh my God, he Kevin just named all five of them, Tanner. Yeah, right? You did named all five of them. Did I get it? Yeah, you did. Oh, buddy, don't even ask me about the NSYNC fan. I can tell you the NSYNC oh, guy's yeah. first names, their girlfriends, where they came from. Um, Color of their eyes. Why they were called NSYNC, it was, it was Justin Timberlake's mom that heard them kind of duet for the first time when they were yep. kind of playing together. And, and her mom said, wow, you guys sound like you're really NSYNC. And the boys just kind of got light bulb. So there you yeah. go. Joe, this is why you and I are friends, buddy, because we were both very intelligent and picked oh, yeah. sync over Backstreet Boys. Yeah, and I was a Backstreet Boys guy, yeah, which explains a lot, a lot frankly. Joey, we always appreciate They were all great. No no, no judgment either way. They were great boy bands back in the day. I kind of missed the old boy bands. My first concert was New Kids on the Block. I went with my Nana. Uh, it was a beautiful concert. I saw some things I was, was really excited about when I was 13. A lot and of grinding. Excited about. A lot of yeah, grinding on the ground, right, Three Joe? boobs versus one. Things yeah. that we've learned yeah. about in this interview. Joe, I went to the New Kids on the Block yeah, concert exactly. with Katie a couple of years ago because I wanted to see boys to men that were with them and I saw a lot of older men grinding on the stage. Oh, buddy, yeah, boys to men. That was my first slow dance there at the uh, Ascension Mixers in South oh, County. The Ascension Mixers, baby. that was like, that was big time mixers. They didn't really have teacher chaperone. It was more like the nope. cool parents. Yeah. Like, you know, the mom from Mean Girls. Like, I'm not ignoring mom, the <laughs> yeah. cool mom. All those kind of parents were chaperoning. There was some massive grinding going on. At yeah, Ascension. you didn't have to leave any room for Jesus at those mixers, Joe. Oh, no, sir. No, sir. <laughs> Good talk, guys. See you, Joey, all the best, man. We'll talk <laughs> with you soon. That's Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN, man. all around great human being. He is right. Those mixers, there, there was no room for Jesus. So the funny thing is, it didn't matter where you grew up, right? Whether it was St. Louis, Chicago, Kansas City, New York, everybody had a mixer. Oh, and, yeah. and it was a matter of like where yours was. Ours, where I grew up, it was called the Timothy Lutheran Dance. We called them the TLs, right? Always the Lutherans. And oh, boy, those things got wild. Yeah, they all did. All kinds of soda pop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there yeah, was there was a lot of good. there was a lot of digit earnings back then. Like you would get the digits from the chicks. Nailed it. You didn't have to super the swipe there. Is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We'll talk about Nolan Arenado and how great he is coming up in about five minutes or wait. so. I mean, why not? It's a day that ends in why. What? Tanner, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer, my man? All right. So you guys know I'm kind of a uh, alcoholic. Uh, that doesn't seem fair. That oh, seems sorry. a little aggressive. An old man. I am an old man. Have you Got guys seen the loud, newest squeaky voice? That's hurtful. <laughs> have you guys seen the new concession item that the Myrtle Beach Pelicans have added? I have not. Please tell me about oh, it. Oh, I saw this. My buddy calls games for them. <laughs> what? Weird what flex. What are the odds of that being flex. the case? Well, I saw well, it on social. I saw it on social us. media last night that he posted it. This is this is this is seriously the best sports concession thing you could ever get. So the Myrtle Beach Pelicans started selling this season, and I'm going on vacation around this area, and now I'm going for sure to this ballpark. Weird flex. Kind of. Uh, 
they are selling a beer bat. It is the actual size of a Major League Baseball bat, and they fill it with beer. And from the article I read, they say it can hold probably around 26 ounces of beer, and that's probably if you're not filling it up to the top. Sure. This thing looks awesome. How much is it? A dollar. Get out of here. That's not a dollar. A dollar for a 26 ounce beer? Oh, we're making a road trip. How would they make a freaking profit off of that? It's a $1 beer. It's not a $1 beer. That's a $1 freaking monstrous beer. Who are the Myrtle Beach Pelicans associated with? No freaking clue. I think they're the... They are a minor league team, low A affiliate for the Chicago Cubs. Oh, I can't go there. Oh, screw that. They got a baseball beer bat. Of course I'm going there. Yeah, we got to go. Yeah, my buddy posted a picture of him because I guess he was promoting it when he was in the, like in the middle of an uh, in-between innings, and they must have brought it up to the broadcast booth, and Damn he was it, drinking it. Damn it, there's no it. Cardinals affiliate in that same division. I was trying to see if we could make a road trip out go, of this I'm, to go see a Cardinals affiliate. Are you, are you going because you want to see a, a Cardinals affiliate, or are you going because you want a bat beer for a dollar? for free. On vacation. Trying to get the company to pay for this. Oh, Just nice. ask. Hey, t- my, my, not in there. Never mind. My vacation, I'm going to go see a low A affiliate of Tampa Bay Rays. So that sounds like a terrible vacation. It sounds like a terrible vacation. Sorry, you don't know what fun is for us. I do. It's not going to watch the low A ball. They're in the same division as the Columbia Fireflies. Who are they affiliated with? Kansas City Royals, apparently. I was unaware of that. Oh, okay. Um, Do they have beer bats, though? Is that Columbia, Missouri? No, probably not. No, Columbia, South Carolina. There's a Columbia in every state, I feel like. Augusta Green Jackets. Augusta, Georgia. And the Charleston Ooh. River Dogs. I'd go to the Augusta, Georgia one because you can go play the golf course there in Augusta. And this is Augusta, South Carolina. What the hell? Everything's in freaking South Carolina. Well, you know what you don't need a dollar for, boys? Somebody's a BK. You don't even drink beer. Get out of that. Get out of here. He's an alcoholic, too. Come on now. <laughs> Somebody said you're too much of a beer snob to drink a $1 beer. Hey, my favorite beer is a cold one. I just prefer certain things than others. Guys, you know what you don't need a dollar for? A lap dance. Because out in Las Vegas. I can confirm that is definitely not true. It's about to be true because out in Las Vegas, they are urging people to get the COVID-19 vaccine. And at Larry Flint's Hustler Club on May 21st, you can get either the Pfizer or the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. And on top of it, you get yourself a platinum membership card. Doesn't it, a, isn't there a Larry Flint Hustlers Club in St. Louis? Probably, but they're not going to give you this stuff. You get a okay. platinum membership card, a complimentary bottle, free dances from a vaccinated entertainer, and tickets to see Sexy After Dark. And you get a limousine preparation for $5,000. Got all, my shot too soon. Dang it. This is all... This is all at $5,000 value, and you get this just for going to get a vaccination shot. This actually is a great idea. I'm, I'm telling you, man, like this is just, this is how you open Vegas back up. We So here's the thing with these vaccines. Like, if you don't have yours yet, and go get vaccinated. But if you don't have it yet, you got to be really smart with the way that you go about this. I'm glad I held off on mine. Man, you, you basically, you have the nice. golden ticket. You are Willy Wonka. You're in the Willy Wonka yep. movie. And you, you received the golden ticket. You got to play your cards right here because in St. Louis, you could go to a Cardinals game for free. I think they're giving away like two free tickets if you go down there at their site and and get the vaccine. This is a better deal. 
You need to take a trip out to Vegas and I'm get saying, in on this thing. That's what I'm saying. And look, I'm a, a happily married man and I'm a father now, so I wouldn't partake in this. But if you're single like Tanner and you're I've sick of a, super swiping right. I've got a bachelor party coming up soon. Oh, my gosh. Well, you better tell everyone to not get the vaccination before that <laughs> yeah. bachelor party. We're all getting vaccinated and Plus, together. I mean, think about that. You take 10 guys to go get the vaccination. That's $50,000 value right there at Larry Flint's Hustler Club. I mean, what more could you ask? But I wonder if it transfers to the one here in St. Louis. Uh, I think I'd rather go to Vegas and take care of that. Well, sure, but I'm saying, like, if you go out there to get things done and then you come back, obviously, you live in St. Louis. Like, are you saying if you go get the vaccination at the Larry Flint's in East St. Louis, you can say, I'm going to transfer this to Vegas to get my my right? I'm going to take a vacation out to Vegas, and then when I get back here to St. Louis, can I just go to Larry Flint's whenever I want? It's like a buffet, right? Like, you get that comp money, and then you say, I'm going to go utilize this somewhere else, right? (laughs) Yeah, see somebody on the text line. I wonder if this is going on on the east side as well. That's what I'm curious about. I'll take my chances with Vegas. This is Larry Flintz with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll play a game of bet it or forget it. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service tax line, but coming up next. Yeah. Nolan Arnauto. He's pretty good. He's the best Cardinals player since who though. BT answered that question on the fast lane yesterday. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. We'll play a game of better to forget it coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But I was listening to the fast line on my way home yesterday and BT said something that really caught my eye that we're talking about. Hey, when was the last time the Cardinals had a player as good as Nolan Arenado is? And he said, it's not sure that he's seen anybody this good since all the way back to Albert. But Nolan like has that something extra. Nolan has that when I watch him, whether I'm watching him in person last night play third base and take ground balls in between innings, or I'm watching on TV, I can't take my eyes off watching that player. And that is, that's a special thing. That's what stands out to me about Nolan Arenado, guys, because it's one thing to be an excellent baseball player. The Cardinals have had many of those since Albert. Carlos Beltran was amazing. Matt Holiday had an outstanding Cardinals career. Matt Carpenter, at one point in time, he finished fourth and ninth in the MVP race. That's what I was going to say because, and I know people are going to hate this, but that year for Matt Carpenter where he hit 14, that like that for me, every time he was had an at bat, I was I stopped everything and watched. Yadier Molina has been unbelievable for the Cardinals. The thing that is unique and different about Arenado, and this is what we've been waiting for, right? When we talked about the Cardinals missing that superstar talent, that intrigue every time they come up to the plate, this is what we were talking about is what BT just said there. You can't take your eyes off of Nolan Arenado. When he's at the plate, he is constantly moving. There's constantly something going on. He goes back into the dugout, and I love it when they show it because he's always talking to other guys about what he just saw in his at-bat. He goes back out into the field in between innings. They'll show him working on stuff. Like, the guy is just must-see television. And so I could give you all the numbers and how he's on pace for 40 doubles or excuse me, 50 doubles and 40 homers and 115 RBI. And he'd be the first guy to do that since Albert Pujols, all of these different things, probably an MVP candidate. It's the intangible stuff for me that almost impacts this as much as anything else because of the way that he makes me feel when I'm watching the games right now. Yeah. Um, part of me feels like, I go to Carlos Beltran, and that's how I was because it felt like every at-bat this guy was going to do something impressive. 
but it doesn't compare to what Albert Pujols did. And I don't think anybody has. And frankly, I do think Nolan Arenado has that presence. Like Albert Pujols, because you expected to see a home run at every at-bat, but it was the stance. Like his batting stance, like I was mesmerized by. Like how he would have such a deep squat into it, and he would have his elbow up so high. Like it, it, it looked like a statue every time he did it. That's Nolan Arenado. But it's different because Nolan Arenado, he's, he's always moving but you're watching because you feel like what you did with Albert Pujols. If it's low and away, if it's high and tight, he's going to take it deep. Nolan Arenado has shown that capability of it. So I could argue and would listen to the argument that Carlos Beltran was that guy and a little of Matt Holiday. But yeah, if I'm going one for one, Cardinals haven't had this player since Albert Pujols. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and you mentioned, you know, you, you can go whichever spot in the zone and he's going to get a hit. Uh, we had Phil Gardner on on the Dame X with BK, yep. and he he talked about when they were going against pull holes, there was one zone he could pitch to, and even that zone he was good at. Mm-hmm. And he said, we should never pitch to him. That's kind of how it is with Nolan Arenado right now, especially right now. He's been on a tear of late, and he's one of those guys that can hit anything. I mean, anything. It's incredible. It's amazing to watch, and I think he's going to finish top five in the MVP voting. Like, I think that's what's the future for him. So I looked up last night, Alex, since Albert won the MVP in 08 and 09, those back-to-back seasons, the Cardinals have had a few different players that have been top 10 in the voting. So most recently, it's 2018. Matt Carpenter was ninth. 2014, you had Adam Wainwright, who finished eighth in the voting. You have to go back to 2013 for the last time a Cardinals player finished top five in the National League MVP voting. You had Yachty third and Matt Carpenter fourth that year. Yachty was fourth the year prior as well in 2012. And then you're into the Albert Pujols years where he finished second, 2010, fifth in 2011. Lance Berkman also finished seventh that year. So when we talk about he's the best player since blank, or or Nolan Arenado, Nolan Arenado is the best Cardinals player since when? I think the answer is actually Yadier Molina. I think the answer is he's the best Cardinals player since Yadi in 2012-2013. That stretch, he was amazing for the Cardinals. He was probably the best player on the team those two years. He ended up being top five in the MVP voting both seasons. But even then... Yachty in 2012, Yachty in 2013, it was a different feeling watching it. And I I can't put my finger on exactly why that is. But Nolan Arenado has a presence about him when you're watching the games that feels different to me. It exudes confidence and swagger in everything that you could possibly want from your favorite baseball team when you're watching a game. And so from that side of things, in terms of, the I can't miss watching this guy every day. I don't think there's been anybody since Albert that had that for me. Matt Holiday was awesome. Carpenter had his years. Yachty, as I just said, I think is the best player since then. But for me, Albert Pujols is the guy that you have to go back to where I am drawn to him the way the BT was talking about. Yeah, every at-bat. And, and man, I, I'm actually ashamed of myself because 12 and 13, I don't remember Yachty being that good in terms of third and fourth and MVP race because every time I think of Yachty I mean yeah I mean he's always an imposing threat behind the plate but at the plate I just don't see it as an offensive player that he hit 315 and 319 those two years like shame on me man because I just don't remember that from Yachty but I mean it shouldn't surprise me the dude's hitting like what 364 (laughs) right now it's ridiculous but when I look at Nolan Arenado's numbers and the awards that he has been a part of, I mean, 22 years old, he was seventh in voting of rookie of the year, wins a gold glove every season, but then 2015 on, he's an all-star MVP, eighth voting, fifth, fourth, third, sixth, gold glove, everyone, silver slugger, everyone. I mean, Yachty had that presence, 
but not like Albert Pujols. And when I look at that, I think Albert Pujols. Like every single season, he is always in the conversation. That's what Pujols had. And it's the presence at the plate. For me, a couple of years of Yachty, yeah, that's awesome. But Albert was from 2001 until 2011. Every time he stepped to the plate, you knew that the pitcher was going to start sweating a little bit more. He also gives me confidence. Like Nolan Arenado's presence with the Cardinals, and maybe this is irrational of me, it gives me confidence on a number of levels. In an, in an individual game, if his spot is coming up late, I believe the Cardinals are going to score. Like if you get into the ninth inning and he's got a runner on and it's one out and he's got a runner on second. I I believe, even though it doesn't always happen this way, that Nolan Arenado is going to score that run. Um, so that's in an individual game basis. On a full season basis, I believe that this team can compete in large part because they have a player like Nolan Arenado. And that was the missing piece in many recent years. And even if you expand out further than that, I believe the Cardinals are going to go for it now because they have Nolan Arenado. That was the missing piece that... If you're John Mosaylock and you get to the trade deadline in recent years and you're kind of 50-50 on whether or not you should go out there and add something, maybe they lean a little bit more conservative, or at least they have in their history. With Nolan Arenado, I don't feel that they're going to do that anymore. He just changes so much for me as a fan, whether I'm watching on an individual at-bat, an individual game, a season, or expanding all the way out into what the moves are going to be because they have this type of a player. He changes everything for this team and this organization and for me watching as a fan. And that's that's the kind of presence that a guy like Nolan Arenado has. And as you mentioned, Alex, nobody, nobody that the Cardinals have had in a decade now has had that type of a presence. you got to go all the way back to Albert Pujols to be able to find that type of a player. It's really amazing what he's done already in a quarter of the season. He, By the way, he leads the league right now in total basis. Sounds like an MVP to me. He's So far, he has been. Oh, he, he will be. Been. He will be. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 115. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's play a game of Bet It or Forget It coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Comfort service text line for better or forget it. Better or forget it, guys. If you would have just allowed BK onto the Blues bandwagon, forget it. They yeah. would be at least tied in this series. And then they added from the 3 1 4. We knew from early in the season this team would probably get steamrolled in the playoffs by either Colorado or Vegas. And all you ended up doing was sparing BK from this ride on the pain train. Better or forget it. You should have let me on the bandwagon. No, forget it. Bandwagon's better without you. I'll take the. I'll take a loss in a series without you on the bandwagon because I just don't want to hear the "I told you so." I agree with Ferrari. I don't think and it's I'm not necessary. Even, I'm not even on the bandwagon. And yeah, I you're not on the bandwagon either. I was right. So I thought though. Tanner got in on it. No, I think the text line was going to let me in. No, I think so. No, I think I remember. You're not allowed did. on it. I'm sorry. You're not allowed on it. He only had one. One bad no, clip. No, there in was that more. I just couldn't return. find them. I just, to be hey. honest, it was like twelve thirty at you night. And hey. I was sick of looking for stuff. Hey, you can't find it. Like you 12. can't prove it. I know. It. I was overwhelmed by BK's like amount of this team's bad. This team's bad. You, this team's hey. not a playoff team. He's right though. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. This team no, stinks. He's not. I mean, You're just playing the best team right now in the playoffs. That was my point all That's along. That's because <laughs> you got the four seed. No. 
you guys are wrong. I don't even want to have this conversation because you're both. That's fair. There, there idiotic. Is, and the other thing is like it doesn't make anybody feel better that this it team's makes not me playing feel better. Well. Oh wait, no, no, no actually, no. You're, that's Six why five. you're not on the bandwagon. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for better or forget it. Better or forget it. The Blues would at least be tied in this series if both David Perron and Oscar Sundquist were playing right now. Oh, bet it. I mean, think of it this way: you get Oscar Sundquist back. You have your fourth line intact. And in my opinion, I think that fourth line is going up against this Nathan McKinnon line. And I I think it's a lot more competitive with those two because Sunquist and Barbashev just have a little bit of tenacity to them on the on the on the ice. Um David Perron creates obviously more offense. Um and frankly, I think with those guys you have more depth on your roster than what you do right now. Because right now you have maybe two lines that are going for you at all times with Sunquist and Perron in the lineup. You got four lines. So I would bet it. I'm going to forget it. I, I just think Colorado's on such a different playing field. Same with Vegas. Yeah. Then you this mark this one down. Wagon. We'll mark this down, but I don't know when you're going to use it. I, I just think even if you're healthy, these teams are on different levels, Colorado and Vegas than you are as the blues. Could they win a game or two? Probably. Could they win the series? Still don't think so. Would they be down to them? Don't think so. So forget it. Remember when we were super excited about the Blues drawing this as their matchup as opposed to having Vegas as their matchup? Those were fun times. I wish we got Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota would have been great. I think we could beat them. This just... I'm going to go ahead and forget this as well. I think that the Blues are... I think the gap is a little wider than we thought between the Blues and the Avalanche or the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't know if that's going to continue to be the case next year. We'll see. There, there's questions on all of these teams as to what they're going to do in the offseason, but the Blues have a lot of work to do. Yeah. And they've got some things that they've got to clean up, both on the ice currently and also with what they want to do in the offseason. I'm not sure that all of that gets fixed by just having David Perron and Oscar Sundquist back on the ice. It helps. It absolutely helps, and it it shrinks that gap a bit. And so maybe, for instance, in game two, maybe they score another power play goal because David Perron is out there during that five-minute major. Maybe there's a couple of plays where David Perron has better chemistry with Ryan O'Reilly and suddenly there's a play that's made that wasn't made because he's not. All of that is totally in play. I also think the avalanche might have gone a little harder, a little longer if that game was closer in the second period and then into the third. So what was I the, don't know. What was the outcome of the first game of the season against Colorado when Sunquist was in the lineup? Yeah, but we can't always just go back to one game. Who what, scored, what was the scored? outcome in the second game? Yeah. You know, like it, we can do that either Give me a way. Hint. It was a blowout. Who scored two goals in that first game? Yeah, I don't know because it was the regular season and don't care. Wow. Uh, better to forget it. Alex is a terrible teammate because all he does is talk about how bad Tanner and BK are. No, he's a great teammate because of that. That's how this works. <laughs> yeah, someone's got to keep us in line. That's the secret sauce of the show. You uh, try not to be mean, guys. I mean, you talk bad about him and they and they follow through. I got hey, you bring never it up. called my opinion stupid on the air. You just called it terrible. That's that's, that's, that's fair. True. And, BK did that more than me. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, better to forget it. Vladimir Tarasenko will be a blue at the beginning of next season. Vladdy will be a blue at the beginning of next season. Tanner, we'll start with you. I'm going to bet it. I I don't think they will expose him to Seattle in the expansion draft. And if they do, I don't think Seattle takes him. And then I, you could do a hockey trade if you wanted to move on from Vladdy, but I don't think you do. I think the Blues will stay put and see if he can just get back to form. Joey said it when we talked to him earlier. 
he looks injured or maybe that's just kind of an assumption from Joey and I think from us too. He's Anytime not playing you well. see a player that you know is really good that is not playing very well, my mind immediately goes to there's something more here. And as long as it's not a shoulder, then I'm not too concerned because I would be very fearful if it's another shoulder injury. But I think Joey said he doesn't think it's that. It's I, a lower body injury. You yeah. It's kept him out. I, I think I think you keep him. I just find it hard that you're going to move on from him. And then I think you still have the hope in the back of your mind that he can return to the player that he was. Yeah, I'm forgetting this. Um, Vladimir Tarasenko is going to be a part of this team. I, I mean, a lower body injury is not your shoulder. He has said that his shoulder feels fine. Um, and we've seen shots from him that the shoulder doesn't look as horrible as people make it out to be. This is a lower body injury. It's kind of the similar situation they did with Colton Pareko. Like you played through it because you need him. Guarantee he came back because it's the playoffs. Otherwise, he probably would still would be out if you look at the, how much time he missed in the regular season. Give him a normal offseason. Give him a normal training camp. Give him a normal um, training regimen in the offseason. And I think Vladdy might be... I don't know if he's ever going to be back to the guy who scored 45 goals in a season, but you know what? He's still going to be a lethal goal scorer. And hopefully Craig Bruby can have success in helping him kind of convert into more of a power forward. So I'm forgetting that. Vladdy's going to be here for 15 million reasons. Vladdy's got all of them. I was going to say, you million dollars left on his contract over the course of two seasons. And the same reasons why there are Blues fans right now that are frustrated with Vladdy. That's the same reason that you're not going to see a whole lot of interest around the league in trading for Vladimir Tarasenko. And oh, by the way, he has a full no trade clause on his contract. So it ain't like he's going to be out there going to Buffalo. He's not accepting that kind of a deal. So Buffalo's actually kind of nice. He's not going to play for that organization. I can guarantee you that. Um, That's fair. I think Vladdy will be back next season because of the contract. I don't know that the Blues would be able to trade that even if they wanted to deal it to somebody else. So... I think he's going to be back. I hope that he is back to being Vladimir Tarasenko. I don't know if I can expect that from him at this point, though. And if he can just be like 70, 80 percent of that, he can be a 25 goal scorer. Basically what we were hoping that Jordan Cairo could be coming into the season. I would have to accept that at this point. At least then he's a productive player that can help the Blues continue to win. I think you're at the point, too, now where Jordan Cairo has become. Say it. No, he's not easy over there. But he has become a guy who who deserves to be on the ice a lot more. He becomes a lethal weapon for you in the top six. And if you could find the right price for a Mike Hoffman, I think you bring back Mike Hoffman as well. So Vladimir Tarasenko could be a lethal player for you, but he might be a depth scoring player rather than what he was as a top line winger. Last thing for you guys. Yesterday I was watching Get Up on ESPN and you know how there was that trend of second year quarterbacks, second year starting quarterbacks that won the MVP? First, it was Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, Jackson. and then it was Lamar Jackson. Well, Mike Greenberg thinks that that trend could snap back into place this year with Justin Herbert. Now a full offseason and all the additions his team has made, I would suggest that Justin Herbert of the Los Angeles Chargers is a sneaky, excellent pick to be this coming season's NFL MVP. Hold on. Wait, can do we, they have a cow in studio? Can we play that, that sounder again? That was impressive. That might be better than BK's... Mm. <laughs> 
I feel like I it would was suggest my that mm. Justin Herbert of the Los Angeles Chargers is a sneaky, excellent player <laughs> like, to be this coming seasons. <laughs> like, did she? Was that Rossini? I think so. Did she forget her <laughs> mic was on at that point? Like, that sounds like a sound. Is a sneaky, excellent pick. <laughs> that's like okay. this drop that somebody threw it in there. In what way is Justin Herbert sneaky? Uh, Here's the entire list of quarterbacks that have better odds to win the MVP next year. Mahomes, Rogers, Allen, Prescott, Stafford. What? Whoa, yeah. Did you just put his name in there? That's according to the Vegas odds on FanDuel Sportsbook. Super Bowl bound, baby. Lamar and Tom Brady. There's eight of them. Eight players in the entire league have better odds than Justin Herbert to win the MVP. He has the same odds as Russell Wilson. Nobody's calling Russell Wilson like a dark horse candidate. Unless he gets traded somewhere. But anyways, better to forget it. Justin Herbert is a good value, quote unquote, pick to win NFL MVP this year. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if we're going value, I'd bet it. I don't think he wins it, but if we're going value, I mean, hell, I can say Jared Goff's a great value of winning an MVP this season. But he's not going to win it. How do you know? Because he sucks. Because I've watched him play football. (laughs) And I've heard his coach talk about playing football. Hey, he's going to break kneecaps and... So here's a few guys that I would look at that could be interesting for uh, for NFL MVP this year. <laughs> so, so from the 314, that's the sound your computer makes when you're out in public and you forgot to close your open tabs. Is a sneaky, excellent pick to be this. Just go ahead and put some money on Justin Herbert. Coming up next. <laughs> How are the next two games, at least, going to play into the Blues offseason decisions? We'll talk about it and hopefully get away from computers moaning next on 101 ESPN. It is a sneaky, excellent pick. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Next two games going to play into the Blues offseason decisions. Hopefully more than that. Hopefully the next 20 games, right? Yeah, was but that a sweep call right there? For the next two games at a very minimum, so if it were a sweep, right? The Blues are going to have some big-time decisions to make in the offseason. And I do wonder, hey, you know, a guy like Jaden Schwartz, if he doesn't produce in these next two games the way he has it in the first two, does does that change anything for his future here in St. Louis? Same thing for Mike Hoffman. Hey, He's had a goal so far. If he puts up another two to three goals, does that mean he's more likely to come back for the Blues? How do you view this, Alex, when it comes to the way that Doug Armstrong is viewing the Blues right now and what these games, the biggest games of the year, mean for his decisions in the offseason? I don't think this playoff series has anything to do with his decisions in the offseason. I really don't. Because in my opinion, and we heard Doug say this on Friday uh, with Curbs and I when you were out, BK, um, it was. It, it's not. He basically said it without saying it that it was a successful season in his opinion to get to the playoffs because in a fifty-six game schedule with the amount of injuries that they had to go through and then everything that took place with the rescheduling and whatnot, this has not been an easy season. Um, so getting there was an accomplishment, and I think anything that goes on from here forward is a matter of circumstance and how these guys perform. But I think the performance evaluation of the players has already been made from Doug Armstrong. Because if you just go through the free agents in this upcoming season, you got UFAs of Jaden Schwartz, Tyler Bozak, Mike Hoffman, uh, Carl Gunnarsson, 
Alexander Steen, who of course is is out, and then you got a couple of minor league players that are going to be unrestricted free agents. In my opinion, he's looking at those three main ones in Schwartz, Bozak, and Hoffman, saying, "Okay, we'd love to bring these guys back, but it's going to have to be for the right deal." Jaden Schwartz isn't going to get six and a half million dollars this offseason from Doug Armstrong because of the season that he's had. Tyler Bozak is obviously not going to get anywhere near five million dollars. Mike Hoffman could argue to get a little bit more money, but I don't know if he's going to get that. But then you got the restricted free agents of Zach Sanford, Sammy Blay, Mackenzie McEachern, Thomas, Joshua, Cairo. Those are the players that Doug Armstrong's looking at and saying, where does it go from here? I think you start with those guys and then find out what your salary cap situation looks like. There's not a whole lot of um, leverage, though, for the younger guys, right? Like if you've got a guy, uh, for example, like Jordan Cairo, they kind of know what his situation is going to be this offseason. They know internally what that number is going to look like. Same thing for Robert Thomas. There's not a whole lot of leverage for the player. With the unrestricted free agency guys, Jaden Schwartz in particular, I think is the most interesting one for a lot of Blues fans. We know the backstory to all of this, right? Jaden Schwartz had a really difficult season yeah. with the passing of his father. And it's just, I can't even imagine what this year was like for him on a personal level. I really can't. And there was the injuries as well, where he had the oblique situation. Like, it's really hard for me to look at his season and be like, that's the player that he is when I have a history of who he's been in the past. And we also know what he did for the blues during their 2019 playoff run. And he was one of the most important players in that run, because when he gets hot, he can be the best player on the ice for a month. The problem is when he gets cold Mm -hmm. and when you don't, when you're paying him $6 million, which is what it might cost to keep him on the open market over four, five years going into his early thirties, Are you going to be able to live with those dry spells for him not producing offensively? The answer might be no. And so that's why I will disagree a little bit on what the next two games mean potentially for him. I think he needs to have some some good games here. They know what kind of player he is. I get that. But given the way this season went and how difficult it was just purely on ice even for Jaden Schwartz. Having a couple of big-time games offensively in these next two I think would go a long way in helping to convince this front office that they do need to keep him around long-term. Yeah, right now I feel like it's a competition for one spot between Schwartz and Hoffman. And, and I think it and, comes and anybody else that's out there on the open market, Brandon Sod, for instance, a guy that you brought up in the past. Exactly. And you are looking at those options that are going to be free agents. There's not a whole lot of them in terms of forwards that give you a top six presence, which I think is the hard part right now. Especially Mike on Hoffman, that left side. Yeah. And Mike Hoffman might be your best option. And we all know Mike Hoffman prefers to play on the right side over the left side. Um, so I, I do believe that it's going to be looked at between those two guys. Who's more essential for the blues in the long run of this championship window between Jaden Schwartz and Mike Hoffman because you need offense. Like Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron cannot score 114 points in a regular season every year and be the sole offensive contributors. You need more guys. But Braden Shen's a streaky guy too. Jaden Schwartz is a streaky guy. Vladimir Tarasenko's an injury streaky guy. So those are three guys right now in your top six that are inconsistent and you can't have that. So if you're Doug Armstrong, yeah, you can look at this postseason and say, okay, great. Yeah. If Jaden Schwartz goes out there and scores a hat trick tomorrow night and helps this team forward, that's awesome. And maybe you look at it a little differently, but in the long run, if you're Doug Armstrong, you squeaked into the playoffs this season and you didn't have Jaden Schwartz for a majority of it. And again, a very tough season for Jaden Schwartz. 
But I feel like you look at that player and you say, man, nobody else plays like Jaden Schwartz on this team in terms of puck hounding, puck possession, forechecking. But on the other hand, do you want to pay somebody $6 million that maybe will give you 15 goals in a season? In my opinion, if I'm giving somebody $6 million, it's going to be a Mike Hoffman who is going to get me 30 goals in a season to make my power play better. The other thing that you have to keep in mind, not you, Alex, but people in general, is the cap situation. They're, they're up against it a little bit here. Now, if you look at the cap friendly or spot rack, whatever your favorite place is, it'll show you they've got $15 million in cap space going into next season right now. That does not include the restricted free agents that you were talking about, though. Zach Sanford likely going to be back, I would imagine. Ivan Barbashev, Thomas, and uh, Kairou. Those guys are each going to make one and a half, two and a half million dollars probably between them. So let's call it seven and a half million dollars in total that those players make between the four of them. Well, now you're down to about seven, eight million dollars remaining for anybody else that you want to add over the course of the offseason. That starts getting pretty narrow if you want to bring back Jaden Schwartz or Mike Hoffman. It might be a situation where you have to ask yourself, do we want to bring back one of those guys or do we go out and get sod plus uh alexiak because you could potentially get two guys on the open market for three and a half four million dollars a piece or bring back one of these players that we've been talking about and that's why i do think these these next couple of games could be big maybe they decide hey Jaden schwartz ended up keeping us in the playoffs because he scored three goals in two games was awesome on the four check and it ended up changing the way that we looked at things well but you also are forgetting two other guys too and they're the ones that are going to be interesting for me. One, Vince Dunn, who I, think, I was just assuming he's not going to be. I back. think a lot of people are that, but he's still a restricted free agent and you still might decide to go with him depending on what happens. Uh, but the big one is Ivan Barbashev. Ivan Barbashev is a restricted free agent and he's making one point four seven five million dollars and he's arbitration eligible. Yeah, I included him on the, the four of them. Oh, did so you? I didn't, I'm sorry. Sanford, I didn't hear that. Barbashev, Thomas and Cairo. Those four, I think roughly yeah. seven million dollars between all of them. And I think if you're Ivan Barbashev, you might have a little more leverage than those other guys in terms of looking for two and a half. I mean, look, let's look at Oscar Sundquist as line mate who's making two point seven five million dollars. I think you're looking at probably right around that area for Ivan Barbashev. Now, does one of those players get selected in the expansion draft? That's the other kind of loophole you have to throw into this one because if Doug Armstrong, and we heard John Forslund say it a couple of days ago, like, is there going to be wheeling and dealing from teams to try and sway them to select one player? Does Doug Armstrong try and do that with a guy who's making more money so you can adjust the roster? I don't expect him to do that because he's not going to give up assets just to lose one player. Um, But... You might need to find a way to lose somebody who's making two, three, four, five million dollars so that you can up open up space because you do have to make some adjustments this offseason to keep this championship window open. We say all of that to say this. It's hard for you to really change the complexion of this roster. The reason that Doug Armstrong has mentioned so many times that they're in the middle of a five year cup window, at least in part, is because of the way that the team is constructed right now. They're kind of they're all in on guys like Vladimir Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly, Shin, uh, David Perron. This is your core group of players. The back end, you know, Justin Falk, Tory Crew, Colton Pareko. Those are going to be guys that are here. Jordan Bennington's gonna be here. This is your core. It's already established right now. And so the question is, okay, who are the secondary pieces that you're going to be able to bring back, or do you prefer to go out into the open market and maybe get somebody that? potentially could fit a little better into what Craig Berube wants to do with his style. And those are the difficult questions that are going to have to be answered in the offseason. I did want to ask you one other thing real quick, Alex, before we get to the crossover. 
when you look at the way that this series has gone thus far, it's only two games, but it blues down two nothing. Has your opinion changed more so far on the Blues or on the Avalanche based on what we've seen in these first two games? On the Avalanche? Uh, I mean, I knew that the Avalanche were awesome, but I didn't know that they were this solid. I mean, there there doesn't seem to be a hole in that entire lineup defensively, goaltending. Like, I didn't, I didn't see Philip Grubauer as good as he has been. The same with the offense. So, yeah, I would say the opinion has changed more on the Colorado Avalanche side than the Blues side, mostly because the Blues have dealt with so many injuries this season. It's hard to really give them a good measurement. I want to ask this of Jamie Rivers, former Blue superstar defenseman. He's going to join us in studio coming up on the other side. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And I'm Brandon Kylie. So we're asking a question before the break. And by the way, if you miss anything on today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by I Promise 101 ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. We've got a superstar defenseman in studio with us now. So I'm excited to hear uh, his answer on this. Jamie, when you look at the first two games of this series. Yes, sir. And by the way, that's Jamie Rivers. Oh, thank you. Has your opinion changed more on the Blues? Or on the Avs, or I guess you could go with neither. But what's your opinion changed the most on based on this two-game sample that we have? Um, well, I guess it's tough, right? Because I literally saw something change through halfway through that game last night. And whether the listeners feel that way, I have no idea what this text line has been doing. Uh, they don't, actually. They hate me for my positivity, Jamie. Okay, well... I can see that. Okay, um, that was unnecessary. <laughs> maybe a little unnecessary. <laughs> uh, look, at the, nothing has surprised me. It really hasn't. I, I was expecting the Avalanche to be fast and skilled and that their power play would be deadly. I mean, pretty much ex- it, that's happened. Nathan McKinnon is good. <laughs> yeah, Nathan McKinnon is, is very good. Um, like John Gant of hockey. And then I expected that the the Blues, if they didn't uh, if they didn't have a good forecheck, if they didn't take away time and space from the Avalanche, things would get ugly. That's happened. But I also thought that if the Blues could find a way to turn this into a little more of a street fight, that that would favor them. And, yeah, they've got two guys that got injured last night. But to me, the turning point, and if you go back and you watch the game and and you count the shots, the hits, the chances, everything, almost from the moment Luzo got elbowed in the face, something changed. Something changed. And I, I was talking to Donnie Fandango earlier down on 105.7 The Point, and uh, I, I just said, this team always seems to have to have something to play for. Two years ago, it was like, hey, we're going to show the world that we're not as bad as everybody thinks we were. We're mm-hmm. not a fluke. We're this underdog team that can actually do something. Last year, the whole regular season was, well, there's not going to be a stand up like hangover they got to the and bubble they were without Vladdy. So they had to prove that as well. Yeah. And not show that Jordan Biddington was a fluke. That was a big part of it, too. I agree. And then they get to the bubble and look, everything went a little bit sideways in there. And this year they've had a lot of adversity, a lot. So much so that people are like, they're not going to make the playoffs. BK, you know, you were there. Yeah, Tanner, you did it, too. I heard that all over our station. <laughs> no audio proof of that one. That's not true. Which most of those people were wrong. And the Blues did make the playoffs. 
And so now I feel like... And by the way, at the trade deadline as well, that's when things started to turn around was the three games prior to the deadline. And it was, do they decide to sell or not? And mm-hmm. so he backs against the wall there a little bit. They proved to Army, hey, stick with us. He did. And then again, about two weeks later, hey, it's getting, you know, time here. And they were able to finally put some wins together. So you're right. They're, every time that their backs are against the wall, they're like a caged animal. And that's why I think that following the second half of last night's game, I'm optimistic for game three. I really am. I realize there's some injuries. Don't know what those are. Uh, we'll try to pry something out of the Chief today. We got him coming on at 2.15. Oh, he's going to be fired um, up. Yeah, he might be fired up. Probably very level-headed. I mean, you know, what's he going to say? He doesn't want to do too much, right? Yeah. But you never know. He might just uh, unleash the fury, and if so, we'll just stand back and Love listen. Uh, but we'll ask him, certainly, if he has an update of any kind. Uh, but, yeah, you're going to plug in some new guys. Hopefully Vince Dunn comes back. you got the great Santini. Amen. Hopefully he gets back in the lineup. Amen. And hopefully the Blues pick up where they left off last well, night. I'm looking forward to your full breakdown throughout the show today. Anything else you guys have coming up? Uh, we've got lots of stuff. We're going to talk Cardinals. We're going to talk rotation. Jack Flaherty. I mean, why? how can you not talk about Jack Flaherty? And we're going to talk about, again, on the rotation, the three guys this weekend, who's going when and where, and Carlos and Michaelis and then Wayno. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's all coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Sneaky, excellent pick to be this. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone.